new podcast in the world. From WWE to DNA Impact. By way of the NWA, it's time for Reffing It Up. With legendary referee Brian Hebner. An all new episode starts in... This, this is Reffing It Up. Welcome back to another episode of Reffing Up with Brian Hebner. I am the man with the magic voice, RJ. He is the man in the stripes himself. The reason why we're all here, Mr. Brian Hebner. Brian, what's up, man? Well, it's 2023. And uh happy, happy new year. I am uh, so very excited about this episode and all the ones moving forward. Um, so many different things going on here with repping it up. And I just want to start out before we get into uh, some of our stuff we want to get into. And, and, and I, I know everybody's been holding their breath and waiting for this. And I just want to introduce to you guys the third man in the booth, as I've been saying all along, someone who is going to dive into some big time subjects that we have on here, give some much, much needed knowledge that maybe I think has been lacking a little bit as far as just old school, someone who's been in the business. Fuck. I think forever. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce to you for reffing it up in 2023, Mr. Jimmy Corderas. Jimmy, welcome to reffing it up. Welcome to the team. Beheb, thank you for having me, RJ. Thank you for having me. This is a this is going to be a blast, man. You know, you know, it, like you said, I've been in this uh, industry a long time and trained and learned from some of the best referees in the business, including uh, a couple that have the same last name as uh, one of our co-hosts here. So, <laughs> who uh, who I owe a lot to. Trust me, I owe a lot to both uh, uh, Uncle David and your dad, man. So. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's going to be fun chatting. And I, I want to let people know out there that when we would critique stuff, regardless, you know, obviously we're going to put stuff over that deserves to be put over. But when we critique stuff, it's not done out of malice. It's because we want to see things better. That's all. You know, I agree. That's all. And I, it's, and I just want to say one more thing, Jimmy. So everybody's clear about this. And if you're not already, the only thing me and him have in common is that we're both we're former referees because he's the cleaner, nicer version. And I'm just the mean old son of a bitch. So uh, th- that'll be established really quick in our ref and review this week. Well, you're, so, you're, you're not old, Brian. Uh, don't, don't, don't tell my kids that. <laughs> they probably tell you that every day, right? Exactly. Um, no, but it's great to have you here, Jimmy. Great to be, have part of the team and going forward. And uh, you know, we started off hot. Every We announced last week. We're going to have Al Snow on the show this week. So at the top of the hour, probably about another 25, 30 minutes, he'll be joining us uh, mm-hmm. for the bulk of the show. So I can't wait for that. But until then, let's send it up to our first count of our episode. This is your one count. Our first count of the episode, I wanted to... Uh, obviously, I talked to both of you yesterday previous to this. Um, I wanted to pay um, uh, homage, I guess you could say, to the late Diane West, who passed away this past week at the age of 59 from complications of lymphoma. Um, it, it, on my end of it, obviously, uh, as the fan aspect of it, not being in the business, uh, I ended up having the honor of working with him at StarCast in Baltimore. 
Um, he had his own booth, and it's just like one of those things that you, you're kind of in, in awe of him if you don't work if you haven't worked with him before, you've never met him before. It's like, man, this is the Don West. This is like this is like he's a TV guy. Um, but couldn't have been nicer. Uh, met his wife as well was there with him. Uh, just couldn't have been nicer guy. Uh, and then obviously I go back to um, watching him on TNA when the, when you were there, Brian as well, uh, and just he got a lot of slack for his commentary as far as, Oh, nobody likes his commentary. I'm like, well, some people do. I enjoyed it, but um, yeah, I, it, it, it's tough seeing people passing away at 59. Um, you know, it was just uh, broke previous to that, that uh, Iron Mike Tanay, um broke the news on the unfortunate news of his passing, but, uh, passed along the news of he was talking to him previously. So he was in good spirits, obviously. Uh, unfortunately, uh, cancer has um, taken a lot of people from all our lives. And I'm sure a lot of people listening too. Um, but it's it just tough, to, tough to see. And uh, Jimmy, do you, uh, you have anything mm -hmm. else to, to add? Well, uh, not, not much more to add. You know, you talk about Don as a person, I got to meet him. I, I, I don't want to, pretend we were good friends or anything but i really I, I got to meet him and he was gracious he was such a nice guy he was so um respectful and he, you know he he made you feel welcome you know and, and and that was the kind of guy he was and i know you talked about his actual um style of commentary his his, his uh you know uh, i know some people thought Maybe, hey, he's a little bit over. The no, Don was excited. He got you interested, he, at least for me anyways. Yeah. I enjoyed his commentary. I thought it was really good because he made me want to care. And it, it, like you said, it is it is sad when we, we lose a, you know, a member of our community. And uh, he will be sadly missed, that for sure. Yeah, um, this, this one kind of hit me hard. Uh, unfortunately, you guys didn't have the experience that I did. Um, but I just want to say that it, this is, this is, I'm going to muster through this. I think, I hope uh, I've been thinking about this all day today, but, um, Don was like a second father to me. We traveled on the road, uh, for about six years, seven years. And, you know, uh, RJ, I know you know about it cause we've talked about it, joked about it on the, on, on previous shows, but you know, he was the main catalyst in the minivan of love, which was something that I dared and, was the most favorite part of my career was that minivan of love. And, and I mean that with all my heart and it was because of him. And I just, I, I just went through and looked at all the people that had these kind things to say, some that had never met him, some that had met him. The impact that he had on this business was just astronomical. Um, if you never met Don and only heard things about Don, you knew that this guy was special. I can also tell you that the things that he did, he did harder than anyone ever would have imagined. He made basically within a nutshell made TNA in the green when they were making money. And it was because of Don West, because of the great salesman he is, the great pitchman he is, made people believe in what they were doing and what they were going to do with their money. And he was making profit for TNA. And this was all on him. He did it all on his own. And there's a lot of history with him being a pitchman back in the day for baseball cards on the home shopping network. 
This is where he was actually discovered. He was discovered by, by, by doing this and got hired into wrestling from that particular job. So that tells you there where he could just go from one thing to another and did it at a high volume. I just remember also the, the after the, the, the minivan of Lovewood Park, way in the evening hours, all of us buzzed up with a five-gallon bucket full of beer. And me and Don would sit around after everybody would go to bed and we would talk. And it wouldn't be about wrestling. It would be about his life, my life, my kids. It would be about each other, his wife, what he's doing next, what he's doing, what I'm doing. It was just so special. And I'll never be able to do that again. And that's what makes me so sad about it. And, you know, I talked to him about two weeks ago. And I could tell you, I, I, I've never, ever heard him sound so bad in my life. So I, I'm also kind of blessed that he is been in a better place now because I think he babies basically just said to himself because nobody else is going to tell him because that guy's a fighter. And I think he just finally just said, I, I need to quit fighting the fight. And he had it previously. If people don't know that and he fought it and battled back, this was a second bout and this one was rougher and he had really fought as long as he could. And then each and every time I talked to him, it got worse and worse. And so I, uh, you know, I just really, really feel Really bad, but then there's a good side to me that feels like he's where he needs to be in a better place, and you know, and so he could quit fighting and then relax and 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 be the D Dub that I know. And I can't wait to see him up there because I can't wait to just listen to him, baby hell, get over here. Just can't wait to see it, man. But uh, what a special guy, and hats off to everything he did. And and, and D Dub, I know you're listening to me. I love you, pal, and I, I just can't tell you enough what you really meant to me in my life. So, you know, I don't know if there's, you know, a good segue out of this, but why don't we send it up to our ref and review? This is ref and review. We had a few this week, guys. Uh, kind of going forward, guys, whoever people that are listening we're going to have a reference review as we normally do but this time we have the honor of having jimmy here as well so we're going to have jimmy and brian both uh partake in this reference review get your their thoughts on it um uh, the first out of three that we have the first one is from friday night smackdown this past week uh rudy charles uh saw that shana baszler or shana baszler put ronda rousey's foot underneath the ropes this is in the in the title match, uh, women's title match, uh, and he kind of kind of you know did, saw it, didn't see it. We don't know. Uh, what do you guys you guys saw it? What did you guys think, Brian? You want to take that first? Well, what I want to do is I want to be a, a polite gentleman, and because Jimmy is the new guy on the on the board, <laughs> and and maybe it'll make me softer and not so brash. I'm going to let him be the first to dig into this. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that, B. And uh, yeah, I, I I know exactly the spot you're talking about over by the ropes. And uh, yes, Rudy was in a position where it looked like, uh, at least from the camera standpoint and from the television standpoint, that he could see clearly that, uh, you know, her foot was being placed there by her, you know, cohort by Shayna Baszler. Let's put it that way. Um, so uh, yes, uh, did Rudy see it? Did he not see it? In 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 my judgment, I think it was in his 
line of sight. Mm -hmm. And what he should have done, if he didn't want to go <laughs> overboard and, and do the shoot aspect of ejecting her or calling for a disqualification or whatever the case may be, really get on Shayna Baszler's case and, you know, get, hey, I saw what you did. You do anything again, I will send you out of here. I will discuss, you will throw your match out, whatever the case may be, you know. Uh, make it look like he's taking charge because if the more you try to act like you didn't see what you did see, the, the more the heat falls on the referee and you don't want the referee to get the heat. The heat's supposed to go to the heel by doing, you know, by outsmarting the referee, not by the referee uh, going, oh, look over there. And yep. yeah, yeah. And it just, it just didn't work. It, and, and you can, a little, a lot of blame to go around. You can blame Rudy for it. You can blame Shayna for it. You can blame, blame the positioning that, uh, that Ronda was in by the ropes, you know? So there's plenty of blame to go around. So Jimmy, I have to ask you this and, 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 and I'm doing this because I, I've been talking about it so much. I just, I don't want to keep doing it. I want you to fill in for me because I'm sure people will go, Brian, shut up. But <laughs> it's, do, do they not have the same luxuries we used to have? Because I, I it hasn't been long since I've been out of the business. Do they not have a ring all fucking day to use? Do they not have the agents out there to use and go over things? Do they not do this anymore? Is this a lost craft? I wish I could answer that question because it, it's been a long time since I've been to a TV to see what goes on, but it just doesn't seem like they get together and go over the spot, especially a, a, an intricate spot, an important spot in a match like that. Yeah, you go in the back, you talk about it, you say, okay, here, we'll do this and we'll do that. And even back in the day, right, as you know, a lot of times it would be, yeah, once we get the heat, I'll get some heat on you and stuff like that without getting too specific. But that spot is a specific spot where the referee needs to not see it. And I don't it doesn't feel like they 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 went over it, it you know, if you if you want to put it that way. And sometimes it's good to I know people want to say, well, then it looks too rehearsed. No, it looks like it was supposed to look if you go out and just at least walk through it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Jimmy, I think that we need to start calling this segment instead of refing review, probably agent review. I mean, it's, it's yeah, you can't keep blaming the referees for this placement stuff. I mean, you can't. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I would have did it per to perfection without going over it, but I would have done something along the lines of what you said. I would have probably now another thing. I, I'm not going to lie to either one of you guys. I did not see this segment. Um, I, I was supposed to go back and watch it. I ran out of time. I did not do it. Mm. So. Did this have any effect on the finish or was it the finish? No, it, it wasn't the finish. And that's the, the whole thing. And it didn't really, uh, to be honest with you, it didn't really affect the finish. Uh, it just, it just, it didn't work. Bottom that's line why, is it didn't work. And, that's and, why again, and, and it made Rudy look bad as opposed to going, Hey, they outsmarted the referee in this one. Yes. I know we're supposed to have a little bit of suspension of disbelief, but when it's that blatant, it, it just, you, you know, it's not even like, oh, it's in the peripheral and you could kind of maybe say, maybe he didn't see it. No, it looked like it was there where he saw it. And, and it looked like he tried to react to it, but I don't think he reacted enough to it. And I'm, to I'm totally with you. I think the biggest mistake there was him acting like he didn't see it at all. That's the biggest right. mistake because that's when it's the most obvious. Yeah. It, it, you know, like I said, you can... You can get up and you can get in her face and you can start, you, you know, doing your, you know, giving her, giving her crap for everything. But at the same time, you know, you, you have a little bit of creative liberty there. 
You know, so something else that we saw on that same episode of SmackDown uh, was something that was, I didn't catch it right off, but in our production meeting yesterday, Jimmy, you pointed it out, um, was Jessica Carr. You can actually hear her um, giving time cues to the talent. Um, is this something, and this is her Bosu, obviously, is this something that is more on the producers or is this something more on the referees or is this something that, you know, who's it on fall on Brian? No, to me, to, to me, this is, this is another, another big, big loss of art. I, I, I know that when, even when with working with Jimmy, we, we would go to each other and say, Hey, did you, did you see me give any cues? Hey, did you see me say something to so-and-so? It was something that we prided ourselves in. It's something that we just, wanted to make sure we did very, very well because this was a big part of our job. And sometimes, and, and, and listen, Jessica's been doing a great job lately. She really has. And I'm not, I'm not trying to bury her at all, but I, what I am saying is hopefully she listens or somebody will pass along to her, but this is something she's got to improve on. If she plans on being a referee for a period of time, this is something that you don't want to happen week after week. There's nothing worse for me than watching a match and knowing when it's going to end because I can see three minutes, three minutes, two minutes, one minute. I don't want to see that. I mean, and, and if I can see it, I'm sure other people can too. I know I'm not the only one who watches referees. And not only that, but it's just something that people need to start caring about. It, it just it, it just really, really is. Mm -hmm. No, no, you're absolutely right. I, I, I think there's a lot of blame to go around. And, and like you said, you know, back in the day, we took pride in, in trying to be as discreet as possible when passing time cues, any kind of cues passing messages back and forth between the talent, whatever the case may be, you you want it to be as indiscreet as possible and try to work it into your mannerisms and your, your, your moving around the ring without being a distraction too at the same time. Now, my only issue with this thing is, yes, um, someone needs to, to talk. Jessica has been doing a great job lately. She really has. And someone needs to talk to her and say, hey, you got to be a little more discreet with your time cues and giving a little bit of instruction and that sort of thing. But at the same time, it felt like, how is the mics at ringside picking this up so easily? You know what I mean? Maybe they should, you know, somebody should have been in their IFB saying, hey, Jessica, we could hear you. There's right. nobody at Gorilla communicating with her and nobody in the truck saying, hey, we got to tone down those mics. Yeah. You know, something else that uh, you noticed that, uh, you know, something that should have been noticed was over on AEW this week, um, Aubrey Edwards, this whole it was like one chair, two chair, three chairs, four kind of thing. It's like, okay, what the hell's going on with this? Uh, you know, she saw one chair, she took the chair, one chair out, and then she blatantly, it's kind of out of her corner of the eye. She kind of sees it. She kind of does it. And it's like, all right, well, what's going on with this? Uh, Jimmy, I, this is something you brought up to us, to our attention yeah. as well. No, see, I get the idea, the distracting the referee, using the one chair, then bringing in another one to behind the referee's back. That's a way of outsmarting the referee and, and, and taking advantage of the situation as a heel. But when you leave the chair laying there in the ring where it can be seen and the referee turns around, in this case, Aubrey, turns around and you, it almost felt like she was intentionally trying not to see the chair. Mm -hmm. And that was noticeable, in my opinion. And maybe like Brian says, because we are referees, we notice things that maybe the average fan would not. Still, it looked to me very obvious that she was trying to avoid seeing the chair. Yeah. I have to say this, though, you know, and I did see this. Um, and I, 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 I'm just going to say this is not Aubrey's fault. This is not Aubrey's fault, in, in my opinion. To me, 
get rid of the chair. Get rid of the chair. That's the simplest way to fix that. Not Aubrey have to even worry about should I see it? Should I not see it? Should that's that's a that's a that's a, 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 a nothing to think about. You you know you're using the chair. It's a heat spot basically. Um, get rid of it. It's just stupid to drop it in there. You're killing all your heat that you got. You're killing the reason to to distract the referee. I, I, you know, I almost feel sorry for Aubrey. I don't, you know, to, to, to a degree, it's like, what should she have done? One of their picked the chair up and just went, did you use this? Did you use, I mean, what do you do? Mm-hmm. So I don't blame her. And once again, are we not going over to like designated spots in a match? Are we not doing this during the day anymore? What are they doing? Is it catering all day? I mean, what are we doing? Yeah. And, and really quickly, Brian, uh, like you said, you don't blame her, but I do put a little bit of blame on her because she could have done like I suggested with the Rudy Charles thing. She could have noticed the chair. Uh, she didn't see how it got there, so she can't really put blame on anybody. She could question it and go, hey, how'd this chair get? Did you put this chair? Was it? You know what I mean? Just something to acknowledge that she saw it. That's the, the Eddie Guerrero kind of thing. Yeah. Got you. So. That will do it. But what I want to mention is, you know, fantasy football, Brian, you and I have been in it. The championships have come and gone. But one thing that hasn't come and gone is underdog fantasy. If you sign up right now with the promo code REFIN, that's R-E-F-I-N, go over to your Apple Store, Google Play, what have you. Go over, download that, you know, make a deposit of at least $10. Underdog will match you 100% of that. So it, it it it's unbelievable. I played it. I won ten bucks the other day, Brian. I, you know, I, I'm I'm tickled pink with this stuff. You know, I, I haven't been so lucky with fantasy hockey, but that's beside the point. Uh, so well, if you go over there, I know Brian, you've partaken in it. Yeah, I have. It's awesome. It's an easy thing to do too, and it's honestly, RJ. I'm sorry. It's an easy way to win money. I'm sorry you're struggling. Uh, but uh, <laughs> not only that, though, what you missed out on is the minimum of ten dollars, but up to a hundred. Up to a hundred, yeah. Up to 100, they'll match at 100% as well. That's right. So, you know, if you want to be a little fancy, put in your 50 bucks, you get 100, roll on. Well, And and the best part about it, too, is you get your high lows. You don't even have to. You can draft them. You know, your best ball, you can draft them. That's how I want it. You know, you pick certain guys every game. You can pick certain games. You can say, okay, you know, Josh Allen's going to throw for under 100 or 150 yards or over 150 yards. Bing, you win money. So absolutely phenomenal. If you go over there, download the app. Use a promo code REFIN, R-E-F-I-N, and you'll get your your deposit doubled. So thanks to our friends over there, and we'll be right back with our second count. This is your two count. Welcome to the second count. We have the honor of welcoming in the one, the only, Mr. Al Snow. Al, thanks for being on the show. I thank you guys very much for having me on the show. It's it's awesome, and I, you know, real honor and a privilege. I really appreciate the, you guys giving me the time. Well, hello there, Al Snow. Hello there, Brian Hebner. We are making the towns, baby. <laughs> making the towns. Hey, and hey, how are you, buddy? Good. Good to see you, Jimmy. Good to see it, it, you. It's great to be seen, actually. I'm, I'm really happy. And and you did have to wear that uh, short sleeve T-shirt and really make me feel even older than I am, right? Okay. Well, I got, you know, I got to wear the medium whenever I can, so. Yeah, hey, mm-hmm. hey, why not? You know, there's, there's, uh, who is it? Who is it? Rod? Rod Zapata in WWE? He wears the extra medium. 
You got to You got to do. Sure hey, I've rest, got so. clips. I've got clips on the back of mine, so it pulls it even. <laughs> <laughs> see? see, see, old school, man, old school. That's right. <laughs> if any of you fans, if any of you fans that are wondering what's going on here, basically we look like bobbleheads. And then Al Snow has a whole picture of his body because his big fucking frame will fit the fucking screen. <laughs> yeah. What does everybody want? <laughs> what does everybody want? Al's body. Yeah, testosterone replacement therapy. That's what we want. Well, Craig, I'm like, I just want to look like that. Well, now, Craig, Al, you're almost, uh, man, you're such great shape. How do you stay in shape as well as you have been over the years? Uh, you know, um, I just... I try to, I make it a point to, you know, train every day and, and, um, you know, really push myself. And I, uh, for me, the, the training kind of has become like a, uh, I don't know, like a stress relief thing. You know what I mean? Like, um, it's a, a time that you can kind of get away with from everything and kind of, it, it really helps me mentally and emotionally deal with everything. So, you know, it's really become a, a part of my everyday routine. So good. I would I would say it like this too, Al. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but but I but I know that you know for me it's it's almost like it's become part of just my life, like just being yeah. part of life. It's like when you go and brush your teeth in the morning, it's kind of the same thing. You go to the gym; that's just part of the, the 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 grind. But what sucks for some people, I don't know about you, but you do get those lazy days where you just don't want to brush your teeth. You know what I'm saying? You just kind of just don't feel like it. Sure. Uh, but otherwise. That's the best way to explain it. I know for you, Al, because fit over fifty, we are we we know about all that. And uh, the, the the what's oh, I'm forgetting already. What's the one that we always used to go back and forth? The saying, me, you, and Dave Hero used to do it. The challenge. Uh, competition continues. Competition continues. There you go. Yeah, because it never ends. It never stops. You know, you just keep you keep at it. You keep competing with yourself more than you do anybody else. And you know. Okay. Uh, that keeps you motivated and keeps you moving. So, there you, go. you know, the body's not, I, I always tell everybody like the human body is just like a car, you know, cars are built to drive. And when you leave them set, then that's when, you know, the, the rubber and the tires rot, the belts dry out, the hoses get, you know, weak, um, you know, part the gas gets, becomes varnish, the oil gets like gummy. But if you keep the car driving, you keep it moving, you can put miles on it. You got to occasionally place a part or so, you know, right. uh, and yeah. you got to do maintenance. But, uh, you know, if you keep driving that thing, it'll keep running, you know. And uh, the same thing with the human body. The minute you let it sit still, it's going to start rusting. And then rust is the enemy of everything. Exactly. What, I, what I've discovered is I, I was never a gym guy. I never a lifting guy. But I, I used to get my workout setting up the ring. Yeah, you know, yeah. On a daily basis, that was my workup, setting it up and, and, and tearing it down, uh, workout. But uh, now that I've been away from it for so long, it, uh, my wife and I walk a lot. We try to get our yeah. at least ten thousand steps a day, and you know, to get the at yeah. least to get the juice flowing. You know, you got to keep moving. You got to, you know, you keep the flood, blood going. You just, just like an automobile, you just got to keep the fluids going. So, right. Yeah. You, you know, it. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, it, it, it's funny. It's like, I, I, my, my workout consists of just checking out your and Dave heroes, social media. Cause it's always pictures of Jim. Like I think so, some days I actually think I grow an ab or two. And yeah. then, th then I look down and I'm like, Oh no, that's just my breakfast. That's fine. Um, but no, it, it's just, it's just great to see because even, even with Dave hero, it's like just seeing his transformation too, over the last, yeah. you know, number of years too, with the, between the two of you just working out so well. 
Yeah, I mean, Dave, you know, is pretty inspiring, uh, you know, that he went from the weight that he went from and, and being type 2 diabetes. And, you know, he, he got that under control all through exercise. And, you know, that was how the whole, you know, competition continues thing started. I mean, it, it started uh, as a way for us both to kind of jokingly keep each other motivated because, you know, I know if I didn't go to the gym, he was going to post a picture of him going to the gym and I wasn't going to have him out do me. So, you know, it, it kept us, you know, going uh, on days that you maybe you didn't necessarily want to go, you know, so yeah. um, it worked out. And, and, and I can't encourage anybody enough. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to lift weights, you know, you can do any, any type of thing that you want to do. You don't have to go to a gym. You can, you can work out in your home. I mean, I, Lord knows I just work out in my garage, but um, you know, you just got to do something, you know, and, and do it for yourself. Don't do it for anybody else or for any other reason, but just to do it for yourself, you know, and, and, right. and to keep yourself moving. That's it. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. So Al, what we want to do is we want to start going over a little of your career and just uh, sure. trying to jog, jog that memory just a little bit. So <laughs> have a little fun here. RJ, take it away, buddy. So one thing I did notice uh, before you started uh, your training with uh, Jim Lancaster, you had a tryout camp, went to a tryout camp with uh, Gene and Ole Anderson. Um, was that, what did you take away from that experience with the Andersons? to fit to go to um to gym uh when you started the actual the training there uh well i took away that i probably will never ever ride another greyhound bus um <laughs> <laughs> i uh I took away a broken nose uh took away bite marks all over my back um, um you know i i don't know necessarily what i took away from it it was um, at the time and even still today, I, you know, it was like, I did it. Um, it didn't get me where I wanted to go. And so I had to, you know, figure out another way to get there. You know what I mean? Um, and, uh, you know, I went back to Jim who basically kind of laughed at me and tried to send me to Al Costello, who was uh, training people in Detroit at the time. And, um, you know, when I came back, I just happened to catch him at the right time in the right place. Um, where he was, you know, trying to organize and start running his own. Uh, at that time, they were called outlaw shows because they were not affiliated with any particular organization, you know, of promoters. And that was why they were called outlaw shows. And, uh, you know, he had had a falling out with uh, Dick Athlis, who was Dick the Bruiser, um, who had promised him Spike Huber, who at that time in the Midwest was probably a really pretty, pretty, over Babyface, uh, he was going to use on a show, and Dick uh, pulled him at the last second, didn't inform Jim, and sent him to St. Louis for Muchnick. And uh, Jim decided right then and there that he was going to uh, train his own crew of guys that he could have under control, and uh, you know he could utilize, and that he knew that weren't going to nobody was going to pull him from him, and that he could build his own talent into an attraction. So I, I got lucky that I caught him in the right time in the right place. That's, that, that's incredible. I'm going to backtrack even a little bit more than that to before you went to this only in Gene tryout camp 
what was it that made you want to become a professional wrestler? What, who, what, was it anybody you saw that inspired you? Was it just that, you know, what, what, what drew you in? Well, I don't know, Jimmy, even after 40 <laughs> years, I don't know. I, I, and I, I tell people, I, <laughs> and I tell, I tell people all the time, you know, when, when we would do tough enough and, you know, we'd ask that question and if, they give you some kind of answer. It's like, well, you know what? I don't think this is for you. You know, if you can, if you can answer, if you can know what it is, I mean, I'm sure if I ask you guys, I mean, you're not going to be able to pinpoint one specific thing that you just go, you know what? That was the reason I did it. You know, uh, you just felt compelled. You felt like you wanted to do it, that you had to do it. And, you know, um, and then you get driven to do it and then it gets, you get addicted to it. You know, and it gets in your blood and then you just can't stop. You know, I've always joked that, you know, the place that where I was going to make the most money was not, you know, training people to uh, be professional wrestlers, but training them not to be so literally <laughs> on the backside, teach all the boys how to get out of the business and stop being a professional wrestler. That's uh, that's probably a lot harder than ever getting into it. Jeez. Mm -hmm. So. I remember too, Al. Uh, lots of lots of funny stories about you, obviously. But I remember this one in particular, and it was a real one though. That this was this was something real, but we turned it into a joke. But there would be something that would happen per se. All right, so let's just say there was a spot that was done, and me and you both were sitting there watching. And I was like, "Why would they do that spot?" And you would say, "Give me your hand. Give me your hand right now." And I would give you my hand, and you would smack it. And I would say, "Why are you smacking my my hand?" And you go. Stop thinking about good ideas. That's just stupid to do. <laughs> yeah. So explain, yeah. Explain that to me. I, I don't need it explained. I want you to explain it to others. What do you mean by that? Because it, it, became, it became such a funny thing that I would come up with an idea and I would just go, oh, shit, and just put my hand out. You wouldn't even ask. Stop. Yeah. Because in my opinion, uh, um, we've gotten so far away. Uh, and we all, everyone tries to justify and to explain and to uh, excuse the fact that the, that a lot of people really don't understand what it is that we do anymore. Um, so like you would come up with an idea that would be based on what it is that we're really selling. And then I would smack your hand because it was like, uh, just stop that because these people aren't thinking that way, you know, um, and you know, uh, we've become so detached uh, from from what we're really selling to an audience and what an audience is really paying to see that we have gotten to a point where, you know, we we uh, we drink our own Kool Aid and we you know we justify and excuse and justify uh, you know these thoughts and these ideas and and knowing deep down inside, they don't make any sense based on what it is that we're really trying to accomplish. And, you know, that's why I would always slap you because it was like, oh, stop that. That makes too much sense. You know, that, they're not going to get it. So that, that's know. a, that's a great explanation. It's almost like uh, one of the reasons that you just brought up here that, that they, they attribute it to the evolution of the business. Hey, this is just the changing of the business. And, and the way I try to explain it to people, if this makes sense to you, Al, is it, you look back at when the wheel was invented, it was made of stone back in the day. And then it evolved. It was made of wood, so it'd be lighter. 
and then it was rubber, then it was vulcanized rubber, then it's run flat tires and things. But at the end of the day, the wheel is round because it only works when it's round. You can't work a triangle or a square wheel, you know? And I think people are trying to overly reinvent the wheel when, when it comes to our business today. Yeah, uh, I agree with you, Jimmy. I mean, it's evolved, it's changed, it's grown, it's developed, it's become certainly uh, much more sophisticated, but the only reason that it has is because the audience has become more sophisticated. And, um, but we're still selling the very same thing that we were selling in 1901 is the same as what we're selling in 1921 is the same as we were selling in 1957 as we were selling in 1969 as we were selling in 1982 as we're selling today. And that's the only thing we are ever, ever, selling are who the wrestlers are and why they're intent on what they're doing not what they do physically and that is honestly what everyone in professional wrestling everyone sells today and tries to justify and excuse is that it's that's what you know it's evolved to is selling what and it's unfortunate that other forms of basically sports entertainment, uh, you know, it's it's on record in in the court system and back in the seventies where the NFL, you know, declared that they were sports entertainment; they weren't sports. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, other forms of sports entertainment: basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all of them. Um, they they uh, they do a much better job of doing what we've always done, which is selling who the players are and why the intent and why it's so important to win. Um, We no longer do that. As performers, the wrestlers now think selling is just acting like they're hurt, trying to convince an audience of what was done to them or what they're doing, not the intent behind it. And, And that's unfortunate because that ultimately has led you know, to where we've seen such a dramatic decrease in attendance and uh, viewership and, you know, et cetera. And, you know, right now, you know, kudos to WWE. They have been able to find other revenue streams and been able to parlay and capitalize on uh, what they've been able to do in the past. Um, But going forward, that's going to become more and more of a challenge as numbers continue to drop. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I point out, all the time, and I forget when it was, because I know this goes counter counter to uh, what WWE tries, the narrative that they try to create as far as wrestling history. But um, I think it was 1965, maybe 66. I forget the exact year. Uh, you know, and, and WWE tries to propagate the idea that, you know, wrestling was never like mainstream popular, like running stadium shows and and things like that until they invented it uh, with WrestleMania. And, and, you know, even WWF ran Shea Stadium, you know, back in the 70s. Then Senior ran, you know, stadium shows. Um, uh, but in the 1960s, and, and again, I, I don't, you know, check, you can check, but it's, I think it might have been 66, which at, uh, at uh, Comiskey oh. Park. 
Uh, what, what, why are you coming up with dates anyway? You, 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 you I, I can't remember. Don't dates. know what today is. I can't remember dates. <laughs> but 1966, <laughs> it, it's pertinent only because. But, but, you, but you sound like such an historian, and I'm loving it. I know. Um, but 66, Buddy Rogers and uh, Pat O'Connor uh, for the NWA World Heavyweight Trial uh, drew like 43,000 people on a Friday night in uh, Kaminsky Park in Chicago, right? Wow. wow. The point of all this is the next night they had an event on Saturday night, the very next night in Kaminsky Park, and it drew 46,000 people. Do you guys know what that event was? Baseball. It was roller derby. Oh, wow. Wow. Where is roller derby now? It's non-existent. It's not here. Because it stopped being what it originally was, and they stopped selling to the audience what they originally sold, and it went away. Mm-hmm. became something different right and that can be the fate of professional wrestling if the performers are not taught to be workers anymore right so i looked up that date al it was yeah. uh where oh I, crap i lost it uh june 30th <laughs> 1961 Ah, I was a couple of years off um okay, it was a two out of three falls match for the yeah. nwa world title at kaminsky yeah. park Yep. Um, 38,000. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I think it's 43, right? It's uh, 41, yes. 43,000 people. Uh, I, I, they're saying it tracked at 38, okay. 38,600. Got it. Got it. But yeah, but they said it was a worldwide record that stood until WrestleMania three. Uh, paid out somewhere bigger, between yeah there were bigger houses after that um you know there were bigger uh stadium shows uh mm-hmm. the cotton bowl in uh dallas texas that the von erics ran where Kerry von eric beat rick flair for the world title i i know that it outdrew uh kaminsky mm-hmm. park right. so, so it was 80, 80, 84 right you said that one uh it might have been might have been yeah dallas stadium that the, was the point is, yeah. is that roller derby the very next night drew, you know, like, like I said, more than what wrestling drew and it's not around anymore. And it's because they stopped selling intrinsically what it is that an audience wants to buy it, buy mm-hmm. it, want to believe, you know, mm-hmm. listen, everything like magic, magic intrinsically, there's only one thing that's fake about magic. And that is, is you buy a ticket, you know, as well as everyone else, that magic is not real, that the mag- magician's not altering reality or defying the laws of physics, okay? That's the one thing that's intrinsically fake about magic. Wrestling, the only thing that's, only one thing that's fake about wrestling is the intent, mm-hmm. that the wrestler is going out there to try to attempt to win, that's it. Because he already knows if he's winning or losing. So he's got to convince an audience of not what he does, but why he does it. And that we've lost and departed from for so far and so long that it's now directly adversely affecting our our numbers, our business. So, you know, one, so, so now, talk, uh, talking, oh, I'm sorry, Brian, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, RJ. Go ahead, RJ. Uh, I just want to bring up one thing before you were talking about salesmen. I can't help but uh, bring up uh, somebody that you ran into with Smokey Mountain Wrestling was Jim Cornette. Yeah. Um, and you got involved yeah. before you made the trek up north. 
to the WWF in about 95, I believe. Right. Yeah. Um, you were actually a tag team with yeah. uh, the Uni- U- Unibom, a.k.a. <laughs> Kane, before yeah. he was Kane. Right. Um, I, I totally forgot. I made it a point to go back and watch some of the Smoky Mountain stuff. And um, just absolutely phenomenal. It's just great to go back and see this stuff. Before obviously before you made it to the company in '95, and then Kane obviously would come later on. But man, it's just a lot of great talent came out of Smoky Mountain. Then this may be a shock to you, RJ. I mean, it's a shock to a lot of people. But there was a thriving wrestling business for decades prior to WWE. It's crazy. <laughs> no. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. We actually used to get in the wrestling business to just be in the wrestling business, not you know be in the wrestling business and have to go to WWE. We right. we really just got in the business to just be yeah. in the business. Yeah, so, and, 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 and crazy. RJ, I know. Yeah. As RJ brought up, you you, you tag teamed with the Unabomber and uh, and you've also tag teamed with Marty Jannetty in the past. You've gone through variations of uh, of of characters. Uh, I always wondered which one is was your favorite to portray over the years, and, the and I don't that, mean that you know like it, the one that's more like you. Let's put it that way. Right? Yeah, I'd say the one that made me the most money. That was that was <laughs> yeah. the one that was the most like me, because yeah. the the thing that people don't understand is that in order for a, a, a what we call a gimmick, which is a, a basically like a Swiss Army knife of words in wrestling. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, uh, curse words. You know, can use multiple different ways. Um, uh, gimmick, as far as a character or a persona, um, is not a character or a persona. It is, and I think Brian and Jimmy can attest to this, that every one of the guys that really got over, that really had, you know, had some kind of a run to any degree, it was an aspect of who they really were and their, their real personalities. Mm-hmm. And with the, just the volume turned way up as they went out, you know, I tell people all the time, like Vince McMahon was, when you see him go out, that's, that's right. Vince McMahon, but with the volume turned up to a million, you know what I mean? If, if no Steve Austin is really Steve Austin, just turned way up, you know, Undertaker was really Undertaker just turned way up. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's why they work is because they're not a character. They're they're real. And yeah. and it's so important in wrestling, um, more so than any other pursuit, that you are completely 100 percent honest and you are completely 100 percent who you really are when you go out there in front of that audience, because they can tell, you know, and if they can't believe in who you are, um, they'll never believe in anything you do, no matter what you do. Uh, you can throw back a cat's on somebody. They're not going to buy it. They're not going to believe it. You know, <laughs> just not going to. But now, you know, like, you know, and there were a lot of times like, you know, when, you know, and I tell people this all the time and they just kind of look at me like, what? You know, when I was, I would travel by myself with just the head. And when, when, you know, I was really getting over with the head, you know, <laughs> I'd, go into, I'd go eat dinner by myself with the head, go in a restaurant, set the head on the other side of the table, order dinner for both of us, sit there and argue with them in front of people. And it was not easy. It was uncomfortable. You know, I got kicked out of a lot of places because we were told that, you know, 
I was making the uh, other customers uncomfortable. You know, I'm like, well, they're making us uncomfortable. So, you know, who wins here? You know, right. <laughs> you know, we'd argue and fight. But the reason I did that was because, um, you know, if you you were you tuned in on Monday night and you saw me, you're like, hey, come in here. You know, to your friends and your family, you're like, come in here. There's that lunatic I was telling you about. He was talking at the diner to his dad. He's and you believed in me. So now you believed in anything I did. And let's face it, guys. I mean, you guys were there, Brian, you and Jimmy, you guys were there. The stuff I did was ridiculous, but it yeah. made sense because I was supposedly insane. You know what I right. mean? Mm-hmm. And I think people didn't quite, I know a lot of wrestling fans, you know, wrestling fans, you know, they're like, oh, he, he, you know, he, he, he's all funny. I, I wasn't doing it to be funny. I was doing it to be insane, you know, <laughs> and what didn't make sense for anybody else on the show made perfect sense for me because I was completely out of my mind, you know? <laughs> so, so, so Al, Al, you have to tell me this, okay? <laughs> I know a little bit of the, about this, but I want you to, to talk about this. So you yeah. were able to be lucky to be part of Tough Enough and, yeah, also, yeah. TNA, and also TNA Gut Check. Right, yeah. Which one was more real to you? Which one felt like you could be the Al that you really wanted to be? Uh, both were, but for different reasons. Uh, Tough Enough was at a point in time in television history when the only other two reality shows that they had on were Survivor and uh, uh, um, the MTV show uh, Real World. And so Tough Enough was really the the first ever concept of a reality show where it combined the two, which was, uh, you know, people in a house having to live together, having to learn how to get along with each other, but yet also competing against each other for an ultimately a prize. You know, uh, no, no other show had had that format before. And prior to like the reality shows, you know, today, which are what they call scripted reality. Okay. Um, you know, we filmed uh, 13 weeks uh, like our, our episodes went episodically went 13 weeks. So when we went to LA or when we went to Stanford for the first one, and then we went to LA for the, you know, the, the other two, um, you know, we filmed for 13, uh, 14, 15, 16 weeks, you know, and what they did was, and we filmed 12 to 14, sometimes 16 hours a day. Um, and uh, we filmed at least four to six days a week. Um, and wow. then the, the, the kids filmed seven days a week. So um, what they basically did was that they, they, they would, the only things they would do is they would create activities for the kids to go do. Like they, you know, we're going to all take you out to a restaurant tonight. We're going to take you to a nightclub. We're going to, you know, take you on this trip. We're going to uh, go to a zoo type of thing just to get content and to see if they could then create things that would happen with the kids interacting. Um, you know, hey, we want the trainers to come over for dinner and they got a kid's got to cook dinner for them. Things <laughs> like that. And then they literally turned the cameras on and they left them on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All over that house were lipstick cameras and 
uh, small cameras up in the corners and the, by the ceiling and the, the corners. Um, and then you had the crews. They had three crews that worked, you know, around the clock filming. Even when those kids slept, they kept a camera on them sleep while they were sleeping. And um, and then gut check was real in a different way, in the sense of it kind of just it. I don't know why, but just ipso facto became where I kind of because I was in the office at the time, uh, kind of became the guy who went out and found the talent, found uh, you know I would go through the submissions each week and I would try to find somebody who had a really good, interesting backstory that I felt like an audience could, you know, have an interest. And then we'd fly them to Nashville or I'd go fly to wherever they were at and we would film like those little vignettes that would kind of tell a little bit of a backstory and a history on who they were and why they should, people should care whether or not they won or not. And then, you know, that was supposed to be, in all honesty, it was supposed to be controlled. It was supposed to be worked in the sense that there would always be two two positive or two positive votes and one negative or two negatives and one positive. You know what I mean? You yeah. would always have a, a stalemate, you know, so that the, the kid would always have to cut a promo to, you know, save themselves. And two dif- distinct moments that I remember, okay, where they di- it did not go the way it was planned was the very first one, and I can't remember the kid's name, um, a kid out of OBW, right? And all day, Ric Flair was going to be on it. You know, he was going to be involved. It was Ric Flair. It was uh, Bruce Pritchard, myself. And Bruce was like, okay. Rick says he's going to say no. And Rick was just adamant. He's like, oh, I'm telling this kid no. He ain't going to do it. It's not getting over on me. You know, it's, you know, bullshit. He didn't like it. <laughs> right? So he's got a promo all day. And Bruce is like, okay, so I'll, he'll say no. I'll say no. You say yes. And the deal was all he, the kid had to do was get two yeses and he was in. Okay. So, hmm. you know, the kid does the match, you know, we come in the ring, he cuts his, cuts a promo and, uh, you know, looks, Bruce looks at Rick, Rick goes, nope, nope, nope. He ain't, nope. This kid ain't got it. You know, Bruce goes, no, I go, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, here's your chance kid you got you get the chance to kick out here's your 30 second promo make your appeal the kid cuts this incredible 30 second promo then rick grabs the microphone from bruce and goes, <laughs> that kid sold me on it yeah i say yes and he got a contract i mean it was wow like, you That's know incredible. and then uh the other one was joey ryan and this is a great example okay once you go i don't give a shit what excuse these guys give you it's all it's just complete horseshit okay once you go through the curtain you are in complete control literally you can make anything you want out there in that ring i don't give a shit what people tell you they cannot stop you from getting over they can't stop you from getting heat you it's your world period once you step through the ropes ball's yours so joey ryan the plan is again Plan is, it's going to go out, you know, and we're we're going to shut him down. You know, Taz is now in the ring. So now Flair's no longer on this. Taz is now on this, right? <laughs> Taz going to say no. I think I'm going to say no. Bruce going to say yes. So 
uh, uh, Taz goes in, what a shock, Taz goes into business room zone and, you know, <laughs> gets up on the kid, you know, cuts a promo on the kid, and, the, and Joey doesn't back down. Joey starts cutting a promo, you know, back on him, you know what I mean, and gets himself over to the point by the, by the time we get in the back, Eric Bischoff has decided we're going to hire the kid, but we're going to do a now an angle with it which is how I ended up doing the angle with Joey Ryan because they asked me to do it because they knew at the end of the day, I'd put the kid over or do business with him and, and Taz wouldn't. So that was how that all evolved. That literally is how it came to be. Hey, Al, let, let's, let's do this. Uh, yeah. RJ, do you have the, the uh, little the segment here? Yeah. Let you me, have- let me cue this up real quick. Uh, this, like I said, this is what we talked about before. This was a little context. Everything you just talked about, Ale, this happened yeah. previous to this. And this is the in-ring uh, promo from 2012. So let me just play this for you guys real quick. Yeah, please. Is this the one with Taz? Good to see you again, Joe. Uh, one, I'm sure you've got something to say. Since you've had something to say every single time you've showed up here. Oh, what a difference a day makes. Now, can you feel that, Al? Can you feel that electricity? Are the hairs on your Shut arm up. standing? Nobody wants to Ryan is bringing Sleazy back live on Spike TV, live in the Impact Zone. You done? Enough with the pandering. You wanted an opportunity. I'll give it to you. All you got to do, pal, is go through gut check one more time. No judges, no deliberation. You win. You got yourself a spot on the roster. That's it. One and done. That's really, really cute of you to offer, but I already proved myself when 87% of the audience said they wanted me. It impact wrestling. So what you're saying is you don't have the guts to try it again? What I am saying is that I should already be here and I've already proven it. And I'm giving you the chance to right your wrong and give me a contract now. Well, I'm not giving you nothing. You want it, you earn it, you go through gut check. What do you say? You know what? I have the confidence, I have the ability, and I have the 87 percenters behind me. I accept your challenge. Great. Then you're going to fight me to get it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, listen, Al. It's not the 90s anymore, and nobody wants to see you in spandex. That's okay. I'll whoop your ass in jeans. I don't care. <laughs> Whoa! Well, I think Al got 87% of that slap. All right. That, uh, uh, wow. I, I, hopefully that, uh, if it didn't jog anything up for uh, Joey Ryan with that slap, Al, I don't know if uh, anything will rejog you. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed doing that angle with Joey. I remember... You know, when I came back through the curtain, 
you know, and uh, Joey was backstage after he'd done the thing with Taz. And I remember, um, you know, doing for the cameras, um, uh, come up on Joey and, you know, go to throw him out type of thing. Um, and I grab him by the shoulders and I don't, I, you know, I'm working and grabbing him, you know, and I could feel him shaking like he was that nervous. Do you know what I mean? But hey, you can say what you want. He had the guts to go for it. He had the guts to to do it. And he got himself an opportunity. He got himself a shot. And he got himself on, you know, got himself a run on impact because he had the had the balls to just go out there and, and take advantage of that opportunity. And and so many times I wish I could communicate that to performers that, you know, just stop worrying, stop being afraid and being so scared of making a mistake and, mm. and go out there and be a star, be an attraction, make people care about you some way, somehow, you know, and, uh, and Joey's a prime example of that. He really is. Oh. He, he really, oh. he was not meant. So you guys understand he was not meant mm. to get a contract. He was not meant oh. in that segment to get hired. That was established. That was determined before he went out there, and he ended up making a spot for himself out of that opportunity. I mean, and, and ended up, you know, we did that angle and it used it to bring back Morgan back, and you know, I didn't mind doing business. It didn't bother me, but uh, you know, and I had, I had I had a good time working with him. You know, that's that's awesome. And 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 you talk about going into business. I'm going to backtrack a little bit now to the tough enough. Because uh, there was an incident in the Tough Enough uh, challenge that happened in the ring that <laughs> back in the day, I think you were standing in the corner. You were a part of this as, as well. The infamous Kurt Angle, Daniel Pewter incident. Um, yeah, but that wasn't. Hey, listen, that was because that was because, Jimmy, quite honestly, a lot of people think they know shit and they like mm -hmm. to not listen, you mm -hmm. know. And I remember when I was speaking to Kurt and Kurt's like, oh, you know, I'm going to wrestle one of these guys, you know, and uh, and uh, Vince wants me to wrestle them all. And I went, mm -hmm. no, don't mm -hmm. do that. You know, don't don't wrestle these guys, Kurt, you know, because literally all of them, I think the smallest one <clears throat> was Nick, you know, uh, and Nick was like six, two and like two forty. And the rest of them, like, you know, Daniel Rodeimer was like 6'10", right. 310 pounds, just, you know, like this, and Justice, and all Daniel the dryback. I mean, all huge guys. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Because you never, I, they, we had the same situation. Stephanie goes, oh, uh, Vince wants uh, to slam these guys, uh, Big Show, to slam them. I go, Stephanie, none of these guys know how to slam a take a slam and then none of them know how to sell it and put it over yet. Mm -hmm. I said, have him chop them. They won't have a choice, but to sell that. And then, no, 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 Vince wants him to slam them. I go, okay. And then what happened guys? Remember mm -hmm. slam Nick. He didn't sell it. Big show got upset. Thought he was yeah. burying him, hit him, gave him a concussion. Then right. suddenly it was my fault because I didn't control it on the microphone. What are you, uh. are you kidding me? You never mix, you never mix a shoot with a work. You just, it never works. It's always oil and water. It always goes bad. Mm -hmm. It goes out of your control. It always goes sideways. So. Yeah. And, and, and you know. uh, again, you were there and I lived it too with that Daniel Pewter, yeah. uh, Kurt, Kurt Angle incident because, uh, and 
basically what they did was they had they blew the guys up doing the the squat thrusts until there was uh, I, I forget the kid's name who won the uh, uh, who who was last left but he was so blown up by the time Kurt got to him he tied him up in knots and yes Kurt's an Olympic gold medalist he's and so forth but then he grabbed the mic and said who else wants to take on the Olympic gold medals and of course Daniel Pugh put, puts uh, uh, puts his hand up I look back at you and you looked at me and you just went. I was like, no. Yeah, no, and I, I, yeah, and I'm waiting in my ear to, to hear somebody from Gorilla Gerald say, "Stop this somehow." Nobody said anything, you know. No, and yeah, I, I told Bert, I said, "Don't do this," because you know they were with me every day and blow, doing thousands of squat thrusts wasn't going to th wasn't going to blow them up. You know what I mean? It wasn't going to get them to the point where Kurt could easily handle them. And, and they were not, they were physically, they were younger, they were healthier. You know, it, that was not a smart idea. <laughs> it was not a smart idea. The only, the only mistake I made in that is I, when they fell to the ground, I just instinctively said, I'm going to count. Yeah. And uh, of course, uh, Pewter lifted his shoulder before three, but I counted three anyways. And then I thought, well, they were having an amateur contest. I could have just counted one and got away with it like that. But, yeah. Yeah. But uh, still, it it goes to what you're saying exactly. Mixing a shoot with a with a, with work is work never good. No, nah, no, nah. no. It's I'm telling you, it's it. I, in all my experience, every time I've seen it, it's always gone wrong. There's a mm -hmm. in here in in the state of Kentucky, right? Paphos, uh, Randy Savage, and his dad used to run the territory, and they had Bob Roop. Bob Roop, for anybody that doesn't know, used to, was an Olympic wrestler. You know. And uh, they had the, the sugar hold challenge. And if anybody knows what that is, it's, it's basically where you paint, you belly out a guy, great by his leg and you half Nelson. And, and it's, it's miserable. I mean, it just, you know, it's next to impossible to get out of. Think of a, 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 a abdominal stretch, but on the mat face down. Okay. That's what a sugar hold is. Okay. And, uh, and they had a challenge and they were offering, I think it was like a thousand dollars or something to anybody that could get in the ring with Bob Roop and get out of the sugar hole. And then some guy, he was a kid at the time. Um, uh, he's a legend around here. He gets in the ring with Bob Roop and to this day, don't know how he did it, but he got out of it and, you know, they were stuck having to pay him like a thousand dollars, you know, oh, and, and it came out of, came out of Paphos and it came out of Roop and it came out of Bob Orton Jr. because he was partnering in the territory at the time and right. somebody else that had to pay this kid a thousand bucks and that broke, that cut into the house and nobody got paid that night because, you know, they had to pay this kid a thousand dollars. So you, I, I can, I can, I can literally continue to tell stories of where mm -hmm. a, a work in a shoot, a shoot in a work environment never goes well. It just does not go right. That was like the Iron Sheik did the Iron, you know, the Persian clubs. And I think two or three, they did the, you know, the, the challenge thinking that nobody could do it. And I think two or three times they had to pay up because some guy in the buried, you know, took, killed all the sheep's heat when the guy was able to do it. Yeah. One, little, one little quick story I just want to say, and then I want to ask you another quick question now. Sure, yeah. uh, I don't know if you remember this or not. You probably won't. But, uh, when you guys had the Tough Enough crew on the road, me and Daniel Pewter actually became really close, like buddies and wanted to hang out and stuff like that. Yeah. And this is when you had all the guys in, in tow. They were all coming from the building. We were at the Omni Hotel in Chicago. I'll never forget where it was at. 
And you had said to them, seriously, you were, I think you were dead serious, but you were trying to make it a joke, but I knew what you were doing. And you said, guys, I'm going to make an announcement. Stay away from this insane idiot right here. (laughs) And I was like, what did I do, Al? And you're like, you're not keeping my guys out late all night like you do. Hell no. Boys, we're going to bed at 1030. And Daniel was like, I can't go to bed at 1030. I said, I know how to work this, man. We can do this. We're good. It was so funny. But you had those guys like, I mean, it was it was amazing to watch because it was just you weren't mean to them, but you were to the like you were training them. You were you were to the point where they understood who you were. You were the, the sensei, let's just say. Yeah. Yeah. And they respected every word that came out of your mouth. It was just awesome to watch. And, and I'm I'm glad I was there to be able to be seeing this stuff. For the, but it was funny. And you know what? Now that I know that I know now, you were right. I am an idiot. You're right. <laughs> I, I wouldn't admit, I didn't mean that. Like, I was, I meant it like you would take them down the, you know, where they would end up getting themselves in trouble doing something <laughs> stupid because you knew how to navigate the situations. <clears throat> they didn't. So, you know, and you were in. And they weren't. So all it took was for them to do something stupid. And then, you know, what are they going to end up doing? They're going to, you know, they're, you know, they're going to end up going, yeah, you out, you're gone. And then they lose an opportunity, you know. I understand. I, I do. I do now, man. I didn't then. I was like, why would he say that? But anyway. Yeah. Because yeah. um, you weren't, you were smart. You knew, you knew what to do and how to do it and how to get around it. Where they would have just went following behind you and then would have walked, you know, you'd have walked through a door and they would have walked into it and then they got busted. <laughs> so I, I found this too, you know, and I, and I do this every single week, man. I, I go through show notes and then I find something that's really, really intriguing to me and yeah. just want to get your thoughts on it, is all. Sure. You teamed with Steve Blackman and yeah, yeah. y'all were labeled as the, the odd couple tag team, basically. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. You were called the head cheese. Yeah. Can you please explain this experience because this was phenomenal. Well, the, the head cheese was uh we were we did something I forget where it was. We were maybe in Green Bay. I don't know where we were and and um You were in Green Bay. You were in Green Bay. And we were trying to come up with like team names or something. It was a vignette that we were trying to come up with a team name. And Steve actually was the one who came up with it. And he was like, you know, uh, we'll get people to call it, call us head cheese and I'll get upset and you kind of get the crowd to go with it. And I go, okay, sure. You know, what am I going to tell him? No, you'll probably kill me. So, <laughs> um, uh, so that was his idea to, you know, come up with it. He came up with the idea of head cheese. Cause I was, yeah. you know, Brian, uh, the words at the time was trying to pitch, you know, saying, oh, we've got to come up with a team name and, you know, and, and having me come up with ridiculous names. And um, and that was somehow where somehow we came up with that one. And uh, it just kind of, you know, Steve's the one who came up with it. So that was his idea. I wasn't working with him. Oh, it was awesome. Steve's an awesome guy. He really is. He really is. a He's a great person. A uh, little intense, you know, but that's mm-hmm. what makes Steve Steve. You know, he, he just, but um, like it was, it was really uh, a great experience, you know, working with Steve, especially, uh, you know, those vignettes and things almost became a show within a show. I mean, um, you know, when they would do the uh, the ratings based on segments, ours was always the highest rated segment on the show where we were doing those vignettes. Awesome. Um, it's too bad nobody was f- filming the baggage claim that day with him and JBL. 
Oh my God. Yeah. When, when Steve went to throw the kick and got his leg caught in that bag. Oh, thank God. I wasn't going to, you know, I was going to lay beat the, beat the shit out of JBL until I saw him step back. And I was like, Oh God, he's going to kick him in the legs. And he got his foot stuck in the handle of that duffel bag. And that was the only thing that saved JBL from being crippled. Mm-hmm. And then I went, I don't know to this day, Jimmy, I swear to God, I don't know how I did it. I literally jumped on the, edge of the baggage claim and ran across it balancing the entire time while i saw darren drozdov coming from the other direction and we both met and stopped and collided into this old couple behind steve and john yeah that was a it was a great moment awesome yeah from uh from head cheese to the job squad i figured this is a great segue al but um i absolutely love the job squad because we used to have a bunch of friends of and i got a bunch of job squad shirts we wore them to school in high school we got our asses kicked but you know that's beside <laughs> the point um yeah. did you with the job squad that how did that help you with your individual uh character as far as you know, al snow with head uh did it kind of prolong it a little more did it enhance it i don't think it did either one really i think it was fun um and uh you know people seem to connect with it um but honestly it was just me being a smart ass that's the truth because when i was in wwf they were doing an angle at the time and everyone had a game in the company and i didn't and, and it's my own fault. Um, I didn't have the best of attitudes. And, um, you know, I was pointing the finger at everybody else instead of at the one person I should have, which was myself. And, um, you know, I came in the catering one day and, you know, Cornette was sitting with me and, and uh, Candido and a couple other guys. And I proclaimed to him that we were, I was forming a gang of my own, you know, because remember it was back when Los Bariquas and, you know, the uh, Undertaker had the motorcycle gang with the Harris twins and Brian Lee and uh, they had the Heart Foundation and everybody had a gang. But I was like, well, I'm going to make my own gang. We're going to call ourselves the Job Squad because there was these paper towels that were called Job Squad at the time. You know, our, our motto was, you know, you can wipe the mat with us. And he just started laughing. He's like, because the, it, I, the reason I did it was because some, some of the boys in the back had kind of lost sight of reality. Okay, the the real reason we all shake each other's hands is because we all need each other to make money, and you don't really win a match. It's net, you know, and and uh, so that you understand what why I say this, um, like a, a a jobber. A lot of guys think a jobber is somebody who loses all the time, and that's not what a jobber is. The real term uh, came from back in the territory days um, when you worked. TV in the territory days, you didn't get paid for it. You got paid when you went and worked on the live events. That's where you made your money. The TV was considered and still is to this day is a commercial for you. So that, that way uh, you, the promoter runs live events. Your name on that poster has some factor in how many people showed up at the building. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. A jobber. Okay. A jobber is a guy or a girl who came to TV. They don't, they're not in the territory. They're not going to work the live events. They're not working any of the towns. 
So therefore they're only there for the day and they're like a job. It's not an opportunity. It's a job. They're paid to do X amount of TV tapes. Usually most territories, we did two or three uh, once a month at a TV studio. You know what I mean? And then they buy they, what they call bicycle them out around the territory um, to the different TV stations. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you would get paid anywhere from 25 to 50 bucks a match. And you were there to do a job. You were there to get the other talent over. Now, if you were one, you were in the territory and you were working the towns, even if you lost every single week on TV, you didn't get paid for TV because your name was now on a poster and it had some value because you're, you were featured on TV. So doing the job was called was basic or a jobber was basically because you came in and did a job. Okay. Losing in the wrestling business was always known as doing the favor. And the reason it was known as doing the favor is because it's expected to be returned at some point, you know, and, and that's how the business goes. One guy gets hot. We all do the favor and we help get him over, you know, or we help put heat on it. Uh, when the time comes and he cools off, he now has to return that favor to whoever now is on the way up and is getting hot and now needs to get heat on them or get them over. And that's just how it goes. That's how business goes. So, you know, when I called, I, you know, came up with the job squad, it was because I had a bad attitude and I felt like because I was losing all the time, I was a jobber when really I was actually in the territory. I was working house shows. And, um, you know, but I wasn't making any money um, because business was down. And, you know, uh, Jimmy just kind of laughed. He was like, well, that gang's not going to be that tough. I go, we're the toughest guys in the goddamn business. Mm -hmm. He's like, what are you talking about? I go, well, if Undertaker goes out there and he tombstones Barry Horowitz and Barry Horowitz stands up, dusts his hair off and walks out, who had the power in that match? I said, I think a lot of people around here need to remember that that the only re- you ain't really winning because I ain't really losing. So, you know, and then I went to ECW and, and the boys all thought it was awesome. And they were like, encouraged me to make t-shirts. And, and I did. And uh, I made a shit ton of money off of t-shirts. Um, but I never made Steve Austin money off of t-shirts or rock money off of t-shirts. And the reason I didn't, and I explained this to people is because I made a gimmick, a t-shirt that only a niche audience understood and could relate to. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, where Steve Austin or the rock or, you know, so many others were so successful was they made a gimmick that the casual audience could relate to. And, you know, would you rather be job squad, you know, uh, popular, which I, I did really well. Or would you rather be Steve Austin popular, which is, you know, hey, my shirts are in Hot Topic. Steve's shirts were literally in every store in the mall, were in Walmart, they were in Target, they were in flea markets, they were in everywhere. So the choice is yours when you walk to that ring. You can can do something that only appeals to a niche audience that, you know, only is going to get it and be successful. And you're going to be successful. But are you going to be life-changing successful like a Steve Austin or a Hulk Hogan or a Rock? And that really should be your ultimate goal. You know? Exactly. 
Yeah, ahead, yeah. Jimmy. No, no, no. It, it, he's absolutely right, and it, it just you know um, I obviously want to ask you a question, but do you think that's one of the inherent problems today in today's presentation of professional sure. wrestling is 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 not just one company? I need I think you know obviously <laughs> AEW does it more than anyone but all of them seem to cater to that hardcore fan the people who read the internet and yeah. the um the casual fan has kind of lost interest because it, it doesn't hit them in their wheelhouse i agree 100 i agree and the jimmy the to your point um back to what i was talking about it's because the performers are performers and they're not workers anymore mm. remember i mean you know uh, we all know the saying, workers make money, wrestlers don't. Anyone can be a wrestler. Anyone. We can put a pair of tights, a pair of boots on anybody, they can be a wrestler. Workers are the only ones that drew money. And we don't have those people in the wrestling business anymore because they're not taught to work a match. What do I mean? Here is the term to work an audience. To work an audience is no different than a con or a sham. It is to make an audience believe a lie. We've already determined the only lie about professional wrestling is our intent on going out there is to try to win, that we're actually in a competitive combat situation. That's the context with when we're trying to tell a story. But when you're as a performer going out there and you're trying to make your audience believe in what you do, not in why you do it, you now are selling them that the moves are fake not the intent behind it and you all all of us know the moves are all quite real you know and as referees when's the last time brian jimmy you were in the ring with a performer and they literally related to you as if you were an actual official in an actual competitive match that you were there to enforce the rules and protect the well-being of both participants mm. They yeah, don't. Yeah, they don't. They ignore it because they're so concerned about getting to the next thing and selling the audience on what they do, as opposed to allowing the reaction and interaction with the very official that's in the ring with them to help sell the idea that they're competing. Mm -hmm. And the less that an audience can believe in that competition, there's there there is less of a consequence to anything they physically do to each other. And if there's no consequence to anything they do or any consequence from you, the referee, the official, mm -hmm. then there's no, there's no drama. And if there's mm -hmm. no drama, there's no emotional connection. And if there's no emotional connection, there's no heat. Heat meaning a want, a need, a desire to see the outcome and see one person prevail over the other. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say in these days, the companies, WWE included, you know, uh, have given up, you know, um, and are no longer looking for workers. They're looking for performers who can generate an interest enough to where they then can believe, you know, can use them as an addition to help supporting the brand itself. Because let's face it, it's now no longer matches that sell WrestleMania. And let's be honest, when's the last time a match Two people in a match sold WrestleMania. Oh, we can't miss this because Hulk Hogan's facing, you know, The Rock or John Cena's facing The Rock. When's the last time that happened? It's WWE itself and WrestleMania itself that sells the event. It's no longer that it's this person versus this person. 
And that's because those guys, they're not working for that audience anymore. They're working, they're not working for the cat because in order to, to get that type of an audience, you're going to have to capture the general or casual audiences. I call him Carl the plumber, you know, Carl, <laughs> Carl 6'3", 270, used to play high, you know, college football. And he's, he comes home from work and he sits down, pops the top on a beer. He's flipping through the channels. Mm-hmm. What's on your show that's happening that's going to make Carl go, well, I'm going to watch this and relate to it. You know, mm-hmm. how believable are your performers? Because let's face it, the reason Steve Austin got over like he did is because you could believe that Steve Austin can whoop somebody's ass. Mm-hmm. You, The reason Bill Goldberg got over like he did was because you could believe that Bill Goldberg could whoop somebody's ass. Mm-hmm. The reason The Undertaker got over like he did for as long as he did is because you could believe that that man could whoop somebody's ass. And did any of those guys do a twisting, burning 450 hammer Phoenix splash to get over? <laughs> and they can't. I don't care. Yeah, I, honestly, I don't care if they do a twisting, burning, four fifty hammer phoenix, shoving up your ass splash. I don't care. Yeah, but it's why did they do it? And the problem is the performers today don't care about the why. They care more about the twisting, burning, four fifty fire phoenix hammer lock up your ass splash than they do about why did they do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's yep. that's where you lose that that you lose Carl, because Carl oh, care, only cares about why you did it, and if he can believe in the fact that you did it, Carl doesn't care about what the move is or how cool it is. All he cares about is if it, it it's going to whoop somebody's ass. Mm-hmm. I, I I so feel like I'm in the minivan of love with you on the road right now. <laughs> I'm so totally loving this. I, I really really am. It's awesome. Well, I'm not saying it as a uh, disparagement or disparagement on modern performers. I know a lot of them like to take it as such and they get defensive and, you know, uh, that's okay. I say it honestly because I'm really trying to hopefully connect and get the wrestlers to, to take control again. And to, to get in to do it again, you know, the wrestling business. I mean, I don't need to tell you, know, Brian or, you know, Jimmy, you guys know the wrestling business is the wrestler's business. It's not a writer's business. It's not, it's not Vince's business. It's the wrestler's business, you know, because when they walk in the ring, they can do whatever they want to do when they want to do it, mm-hmm. you know, and they can either make business go up or they can make business go down, you know, but they, if you don't, if you just have a business full of wrestlers, like, Everybody goes, oh, Vince killed the territories. No, he didn't. Vince did not kill the territories. You know what he did? Vince went around and was literally buying territories when he didn't have to buy them. Okay? He hired all of the workers that were in those territories. And he had all the workers, and the territories had nothing but wrestlers, and they weren't able to make Mike money. That's the only reason that Memphis survived as long as it did after the War of 84, was because that was the one territory that still had a number of workers in it. Yes. Ballard, Mantell, Dundee. Mm-hmm. And they could take the young guys and lead them the way to still draw money. That was why they survived. Mm-hmm. All the other territories, Minnesota, you know, uh, Puerto Rico, I mean, go down the list. Crockett, you know, Crockett survived because he had flair, had all the workers. 
-hmm. you know, but every other territory went under because all the workers left and went to Vince. Well, you can't draw money with wrestlers. Wrestlers don't draw money. And the performers today all endeavor to be great wrestlers. None of them endeavor to be a great worker. Well, 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 according to Pat, Pat, uh, Pat, Pat, Pat Kinney, Pat um, Kinney. Oh yeah. Pat Kinney that, um, Brian Hebner was drawing money and tickets because he was bigger than the boys. And That's true. Yeah, you were more jacked than the boys. Yeah, and and, and, and he, he just, and he worked out before he went to the ring. You were out and there doing push-ups. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're trying to draw money with the referee Brian Hebner is wearing <laughs> cut off sleeves on his his referee shirt and everything, showing his guns. Yeah, might as well go out there and get yourself some just, color while you're in no the ring. <laughs> Might as well get some color while you're in the ring. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, Al, here's, here's what we're going to do, buddy. Yeah. We're going to head to our third count. We're going to talk some OVW, take a few fan questions, and uh, oh, sure. we'll be right back after this. We're going to head to the third count. All right. Did the holidays hit you hard? Did you enjoy all the treats of the season? Are you finding yourself in a need of a reset or a jumpstart for your health and wellness heading into 2023? Perhaps AdvoCare is a solution for you. With 30 years of helping good people look, feel, and perform better, AdvoCare offers over 70 products ranging from weight management, sport performance, general health, and so much more. Avercare products are formulated by a scientific medical advisory board so that they are safe and effective for you and your family. If you are ready to give Avocare a try or maybe just some more information, just reach out to our friend and NWA referee, Jared Fritz, to find out what could be done to best fit your goals for 2023. You can follow him on Twitter at jfritzreffit on Instagram at jared.fritz or visit his website at leadyourbetterlifestyle.com. Avocare, we build champions. This is your three count. It is the third count of our episode, Brian. One of our favorite episodes, excuse me, not episodes, it is our favorite episode, but our mm -hmm. favorite segment is when we bring in our listeners to ask some questions to our guests. So, Brian, I'm, I know you got a few on your end, right? I do. Um, I'll have a very interesting one, and I want you to, to, to really dive deep into this. Sure, yeah. Um, I, I, I was told by someone you know okay. that I need you to explain the grass-cutting story. Oh, grass-cutting story. Take care. Grass cutting story. Trying to remember. Let me make sure I said that correctly. Hold on. Hold on. Hold Grass on. cutting story. Yeah. You're making me feel dumb now. Hold on. Huh. Oh no no. I mean I may not remember. CTE is a real issue. So yes. Can you? <laughs> I want you to share the cutting grass story. Yeah. Yeah. This question, by the way, is from Daniel Spencer. Yeah, I'm, he's making a reference I, I don't remember. I, I'm trying to think. Good. He didn't deserve to be on our show. Did he ever do for anybody, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, I can't I can't remember what he's talking about. I if, if he gave me more information, maybe I could figure it out. 
You know, well, maybe I mean? maybe I'll text him through our our true fan. Yeah, yeah. Text him, tell him you know the brain tumor kicked in again, and I can't remember. So. Well, let me let me ask you this. Um, yeah. Do you think I did a decent job of training that kid? I think he did did a great job. I you know I I you know I'm always barking at him. You know that's just what I do. Um, um, you know because I people got to remember I grew up. Or, or a watch, like, you know, I watched your dad and Tommy Young, you know what I mean? And, and I think you can attest, like, whenever I would, when, and they'd ever roll my old ass out in, at Impact, you know, whenever I worked with you, I worked with your dad, I always went out of my way to interact with you guys and get you guys to interact with me. Because right. I thought that just added to the match. And it helped if I was the heel, mm-hmm. it helped put that much more heat on me, you know, that it showed that I was doing something wrong. You know what I mean? And yeah. I can't get the wrestlers to do it. And a lot of times I can't get the referees to do it because now the referees, like, again, like, again, I grew up with guys like Tommy Young and Tommy Young, what made him so awesome was that he reacted. Like if he saw somebody get hit, it was never where he did it so overtly that it took away your attention from what just occurred, but it made you believe that much more that that just, you know, like if you saw a guy get punched in the bar and got sucker punched, you'd be like, Ooh, shit. You right. know, he would do that behind the, you know, behind, and you right. kind of see it in the background, you know, when he came in for the count, like he came in like every time, any moment that could have been the finish, you know, and that ultimately is what we're selling is that any moment that match could end. And I'm really, I really press for, all of the young referees to try to do that. And to just, the key is for everybody in that ring, when they're in that ring is to believe, to believe in the moment that it's really happening. That, you know, that, that, you know, you just saw them, you know, if you're the referee and you just, you, you catch the heel doing something, don't stand there with your dick in your hand, react and get angry and yell at him, you know, at the very least, because in that way the heat never goes on you. So, 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 Al, so Al, to touch on that, because yeah. I want—I don't want it to be confused. Because I've talked about this quite a bit on my show, and I and I think you understand exactly what I'm saying, and you'll get 100. Yeah. percent You're saying have natural reactions to things that happen. Yeah, natural reactions, like you said, someone gets punched in a bar. Oh shit! Yeah. Kind of yeah. Don't you watched AEW lately. What's that? Have you watched AEW? Have you been blessed? Oh, yeah. And I've, I've watched, I've watched, you know, and I know watched Daniel on Impact and, and, and Daniel's told me like they don't, they tell him not to react. They don't want him to do anything. That's and, not and, and I just don't think that's, I don't think it sells what the talent are doing. And I don't think it's real. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think, like if you were standing there, and and I caught another guy with a beautiful punch. You wouldn't just stand there and like, well, nothing fucking happened. You know what I mean? Right. I'd hit that guy and right. you'd be like, oh shit. And you wouldn't call it, you know what I mean? You because if I hit him with a a, a a forearm or something and took his head off, you can't call it, you can't admonish me for it because it's not against the rules. Right. You know, but you would like, Jesus Christ, like you hit him. You know, yeah. you'd come in. You know, when I've got him in a hold and you'd be in there aggressively checking to see if the guy's going to give up or if I'm doing something wrong to gain an advantage, you know, you're supervising. If I'm pinning him, you're you're coming right in because this could be it. This could be the finish. And actively being a part of and doing, you've got to believe as a referee 
in my opinion, to really help sell the illusion of, of that it's competitive situation, you've got to believe like you're an active participant who is ensuring that the rules are adhered to for a fair combat contest and protecting the health and welfare of both participants. That's mm-hmm. your job. If it were real, that would be your job. So you need yeah. to act like that. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and and I know Brian and RJ know this, that, that, that I try to preach this all the time. That the referee's job is to help the talent tell their story without right. being an, an uh, uh, you know, a, a yes. distraction to the story. And like you said, with a, w- even with a nice punch that looked nice and snug, just the reaction like, ooh, that looked like it tagged him, you know, something. It doesn't have to be over the top, you know, and I hate to point out the AEW refs who, who tend to oversell everything. When someone gets punched in the face, don't grab your chin like you just got sucked. Right. Or, no. or, or, you know, something happens to the arm and you're grabbing your arm like, no, no. you know, it's just, it's, it's like you're they waffle, to... and you can tell me if I'm wrong because I don't really get much of a chance anymore with being so heavily involved with OVW. But mm-hmm. they waffle as far as both talent and referees, where they either oversell something or they completely go the opposite direction and no sell something. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you know, the guy throw it like you to your point throws a punch and they they grab their chip. You yeah. know, but then two minutes later the guy comes out with a six uh, you know six shot gun. And shoots him in the head, and they go right. and don't care. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 either you know feast or famine. It's a, there's, there's no in between. And and I think it's uh, is it partly because uh, is it does the, some of the blame fall on the talent as well for not helping instruct yeah. these referees to listen. Yeah. You're there to help us tell our story. You have to look as as you know legit as possible, for lack of a better term. Because again, Jimmy, it comes down to remembering what it is we're all selling. We're all selling one thing. We're all selling the illusion that this is a competitive situation. Mm -hmm. And I cannot emphasize enough that it is not just in the last 10 to 20 years that the general public has became aware of that. A 1976, okay, 1976, I proclaimed to all of my family both sides, my mother's and my father's side, okay? And none of them, I love every one of them, none of them men's candidates, okay? No one can be accused of being a genius, all right? Okay? I proclaimed to all of them I wanted to be a wrestler. You know what every single one of them said to me, including my grandparents, who didn't, and none of them were wrestlers, none of them had ever been wrestlers. They all went, why do you want to do that? That's fake. <laughs> How did they know in 1976, never, no internet, right? no Dave Meltzer, no dirt sheets, no cable TV, okay? How did they all know that wrestling was, was, was predetermined? Because mm-hmm. everybody's known since the 1920s in the United States. That's when you oh. should have smacked the shit out of your grandma. <laughs> should have. She'd probably beat the hell out of me. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, hey, I'd hit her from behind and then run. Hey, Al, real, real quick, we'll 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 go back to, to OVW. Yeah. We're we're going to cover OVW big time for you, and uh, but I just have a quick question because yeah. I, we're and this is about the subject we're on. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are are the days gone in these bigger companies where they have a ring that sits there all fucking day and they have agents that are there all fucking day? 
Do they not yeah. go over these spots where these referees miss things? Do they not go over this with a cameraman? What is fucking going on? We find shit every week to talk about, and we're not digging for it. It just happens. It happens every single week where the referee sees the guy put the uh, foot on the rope, or you see there's a big spot in the ring that actually leads to the finish, but there's a fight on the ramp, but they're shooting that. You missed that. You have to see it replay. I mean, like, what the fuck is going on? And the reason why I'm asking about you and OVW is, are you not allowing your guys to get in the ring during the day? What's going on? Is this gone now? No, they are, they are allowed. And I, I don't know as far as I can surmise or, or assume um, in other places what, what you know, yeah, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort. So one of the things that I do in OVW that a lot of places don't do, and, and this also comes down to the motivation of the talent, okay? Uh, you know, because they already think they know stuff. But every week, uh, I go and I do t- what I call TV review. And I've always done it even when I was down in, you know, when I was a developmental program for WWF or WWE. And that is, we go back through last week's TV, okay? And I literally go match by match, you know, even the dark matches. And I go, all right, here was what we were trying to accomplish as far as business. Here's how we were trying to portray you. Did we get that done? Why didn't we get it done? What worked? What why what didn't work? Why didn't it work? Referees. So out, so do you literally mean you sat down with your roster and y'all went over the whole show? Yeah, I do it every week. Yeah. That's incredible, dude. Incredible. That's great. And a lot of people don't want to take that time and effort, you know what I mean? And and you know, um and as such that's why you keep seeing a lot of the same mistake. Not only that, but but the training. When people are broke in the business, okay? I'll give you, and I'm not, again, I'm not besmirching anybody or, you know what I mean, but the, here's how it goes. Hey, here's how you hit the rope. Here's how you take a bump. Here's how you lock up. Here's how you hit the ropes. Here's a couple wrestling moves. Here's what the high spot is. Here's what how you take a turnbuckle. And hey guys, let's you can have a match now, and we're done. You know, <laughs> that's it. If, if you come here, okay, the first the first nine weeks, all you're going to do is learn how to sell. What do I mean? Not sell like you're hurt. You have to to get out of the beginners class to go to the intermediate. You've got to have a match with your your fellow students. And you've got to have a match where you can convince me you look like you're really trying to win using your just basic tools and skills that you have, pinning combinations, holds, uh, and takedowns and escapes and reversals. That's it. You don't learn how to hit the ropes. You don't learn how to take turnbuckles. Nothing. You learn how to sell me that you're trying to win. You sell me on your intent. If you don't learn that, there's no purpose of you learning to hit the ropes or taking a hip toss or a suplex or anything else because you ain't going to sell it. So why do it? Intermediate, now you learn to hit the ropes, learn all that other stuff, and you learn how to put it all together, sequencing. And now you start to st- tell the most rudimentary stories of being a heel or a baby face, convincing me that you're doing it to win. In advanced class, we get into working the gimmick matches and you know, uh, more advanced stuff of being a heel and being a baby face and all of that stuff. But start of the class, 
you're not going to learn to hit the ropes because you don't have the timing, distance, or footwork to even lock up properly. So right. now I'm going to have you careen off the ropes at 35 miles per hour and think that something's going to safely happen? No, it ain't going to. <laughs> so I'm going to teach. You're going to learn to sell. Sell me on your intent. If you can't get me to buy you and your intent, just using simple, simple holds, simple escapes, simple reversals, simple takedowns, submissions, pinning combinations. Why in the world do you think you're going to convince me of the same thing by doing a triple lendy off the top rope where you drop on their their face with your asshole? It ain't going to make no. It ain't going to make no sense. <laughs> so, so Al, we're going to get back to MVW because we want we want to talk but, about it. We but know just you. so you know, I mean that's that's part of the uh, that's part of the intrinsic problem is that when these talent come, they're coming from an area where they've not been taught the basics and the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Yes, they've been taught that it's all about what we do. The second part of that problem, and I've had this conversation with several agents in some of these companies. They come, come they come and complain. You know, we all get together, old timers and grouse, and we're like, oh, these young guys, they don't listen. And I'm like, <laughs> how do you expect that they're going to listen to you when you're telling them not to, to do the very thing? that the guys on top are getting applauded and lauded for and praised and being told that they have five-star matches and are getting rewarded by being on top of the card and getting better money than the guys at the bottom. All you're doing is inspiring and motivating them to continue to keep doing the same bad habits so they can get the spot that those guys up there are doing those bad habits. Hmm. So it never ends, you know, never ends. Wow. I'm going to stick with our OVW topic here because I really, yeah, sure. I really enjoy it. Um, one question comes to us from Yellowbone on Twitter. He asked, "Who do you see as the next big thing coming out of OVW?" You know, I that I don't. I for two reasons, uh, I don't say. One, it's very hard for me to predict that in the many years that, and in the many, many different talent that I have trained. Uh, there have been people that I could I'd sit there and go, oh, that person has all the tools and they're going to be this and they didn't. And then that person, I'd be like, well, they got some challenges and they went way past the other person. So I I've learned a long time ago. You can't do that. Second reason is there might be some of them that are going to listen. They're going to be like, get offended. And they'll be like, oh, why didn't you mention me? Uh, why did you yeah. mention this person? Uh, <laughs> he's got a favorite. He, he cares about them more than me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a politics thing. It's like, shut up. I ain't no <laughs> politics. What do you mean politics? Me? Mm-hmm. I'm the only That's person that's going to politic. I'm the one that writes all the shows and books everything. So, you know, I'm the one that calls all the finishes. There you go. Um, just uh, I want to I want to go back to your to your WWF slash WWE days. Uh, this question actually comes from from Devin Dowling. He said, "What is Al's favorite championship run in WWF slash WWE? Was, which title run that you had was your favorite? Or you know, do you have one? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I used to think like the first time I got the hardcore title. You know what I mean? That was that was." big compliment but then i can't tell you the number of people over the years who have come up to me and tell me how much they were entertained and you know they'll mention other stuff but they mention every time that run with the european title and and how much fun they they had watching that and 
and how much it it was it was entertaining to them. So I guess that you know it was it was it was you know and to be honest uh, and I I use this advice today to a lot of the performers you know um, you know I'm like if you go out there and you feel like you're an ass then take control of it and make yourself the biggest ass you possibly can because now it's you in charge. And I remember the first time they sent me out there you know, in that Lederhosen, you know, representing Germany. And I was like, I feel like an idiot, you know? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make myself the biggest idiot I possibly can. And luckily Vince saw me right before I went out because they put gave me that string of sausages, you know, around my mm -hmm. neck. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Lederhosen had like a fly on, you know, open. And so I ran the sausage down and through. And he like looked up from where he was at girl and he's like, what are you doing? And he was like, come here. <laughs> and then maybe pull the sausage out of the leader hose and then <laughs> I was going to go out on live TV with it hanging out of my pants, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't care. So, so we, we, we we talk about a lot of things, you know. And and I um I'm going to admit that I did not print out the latest run sheet for our show, so um I'm I'm actually questionless, but I'm not. I have plenty of questions. Good, yeah. <laughs> But I would like to know or like to hear you give me the analogy of the way that you think that the training that's done today, and we've kind of touched on it, but what I'm saying is the way that you were trained, the way that the old school days were gone, we had a show with JBL. He was on and things are so different than they are now. And sure. it's kind of like, I think, in my opinion, that I think the reason that we talked about these other mistakes that are being made is because, like you said, I think that everyone thinks they're a star because they're on TV and on a bigger stage. And I think that's the lost art of what really was happening back in the day. And I hate to use that term back in the day because people will think I'm old and guess what? I'm fucking old. I don't care. Uh, but my point being, if you could change or are you changing in OVW, are you changing the way that you think people are being trained now? Or are you trying to just go with the flow of the way it's supposed to be anymore? It just kind of catch me up on that. Sure. Um, no, I'm not going with the flow. And I think in a lot of times, in a lot of ways, I'm vilified for it within the modern wrestling business, you know, because I'm now it's, oh, he's old school. He's, oh, he's too old school. And I'm not old school because if there were a new school, I would agree. I am old school. But until you can come up with something different that we're selling, if you can come up with something that's new, that's fake about wrestling, other than just the finish, if you can come up with something new that we're selling, other than I'm trying to convince you of one single thing, and that's my intent when I'm in there, okay? If you can come up with something new, now there's a new school. If you can't, we're still in the same school. It's just that I'm trying to keep that alive. I don't, when, if you come to OVW, Brian, if Jimmy, you know, RJ, you guys, and you come in as a referee, as a talent, I'm not going to stand there and I'm not going to sit there and tell you, you can do this, you can't do that. Okay. I don't. If you, you can ask any of the, in the talent that are there, I will occasionally specifically tell you, Hey, I need this in this match this way. And the reason I need it in this match this way is because I'm trying to tell this story at this time. So I know this will work based on my experience. And if you do this, we'll get, we'll get done what we need to get done. Other than that, 
you do what you want to do. You do it the way you want to do it. You know, even, even to the point of the finish, I won't necessarily call the finish. I'll be like, Hey, we need this guy to have heat because I'm trying to get you to understand how to sell that. If I don't get you to understand it, then it won't get sold. So I don't, so, and that's, if you remember, uh, you know, Bryant, Jimmy, when, when, you know, we had agents back in the day and that was Gurria, uh, oh, you oh, know, man. they weren't agents like what I was doing at Impact, were they? They were mm -hmm. like Pat Kenny and myself at Impact. Mm -hmm. We had to literally go to a talent and go, hey, here's the match. Here's some ideas. Here's some suggestions. Here's how we should, here's the finish. Here's how we should get into it. We had to call everything. Correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Lanza and Gurria, you guys were there. Literally would walk up and go, hey, 10 minutes, you over. Hey, 10 minutes. We need to get this guy over. Hey, get this guy some heat. And they'd walk away. Mm -hmm. That was the only conversation you had. And then it was 100% your responsibility to get business done. Period. Mm -hmm. Am that right? No, it's true. Now, it's very true. You're, you're absolutely now, right. Literally, you're an agent. And it's, you know, okay, yeah, you know, here's how about this spot? You do this, you do that. And, uh, you know, sell up in the corner. And the guy goes, well, how do I do that? We just get up and walk to the corner. You know, you got to lay it all out for them because if you don't, they don't know how to do it anymore. And they, it's because they're not taught. They're not trained to work a wrestling match. The other problem, and, I, and I've said this numerous times, I'm surprised I've not gotten a major outcry. So maybe this one will cause some heat and cause the start. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we love, we love being on the dirt sheets. The well, dirt. You might, this one might get it. <laughs> Two things. Number one, you're not entitled to get paid. That is not how this business works. Hate to break it to you. You're paid off the house. And if no one pays to see you, you're not worth anything. Mm -hmm. If I put your name on a poster and no one walks in, sees that poster and goes, oh my God, it's Brian Hebner. I got to go see this guy. I'm going to spend 10 bucks. Mm -hmm then you ain't worth anything. This is not Walmart. It is not a job. You were never hired. You were booked. Mm -hmm. You were an entertainer. You are no different than a musician or an actor or a comedian. You work off the gate. If the gate's good, you make money. If the gate's bad, you don't. If the gate's good, that means you're a draw. If the gate's bad, it means you're the shits. That's your value, period. I don't care what you think or what you say. That is how this business operates. And that is why today you performers all wrestle to get a pat on the back. You all wrestle to get a star rating of your match. Where back in the day, I never, for 14 years, I never had anybody when I walked back through the curtain go, how good's your match? You know? Right. I walked back through the curtain and the number one question was always asked, what was it asked? What's the What's house? The house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Am I not right, boys? Yep. You're right. You're right. Do you hear that question asked at all today? They don't no, care what the house is. You know they always have to pay. Because they are all going to make money, whether it's full or not. Yeah. And they don't care. And so they are not the wrestlers, the performers are not wrestling for the audience. They are wrestling for each other. They are trying to impress the boys in the back and they are trying to impress one fan 
who's in the audience who writes a report to a dirt sheet to tell them how good or bad you were. That's it. Mm -hmm. And that as long as that mindset is pervasive and continues, the business will continue to decline. No ifs, ands, or buts. That is why, and that it, it's, it's so much easier for promoters, trust me, it's a pain in the ass for me to sit there and watch matches back and have these conversations and argue with sensitive, neurotic, narcissistic, egotistical talent who yeah. are so, mm -hmm. so worried and insecure that the slightest criticism of them puts them on the defensive and they don't want to listen or learn. That takes a lot of time and a lot of aggravation. It takes a lot of time and aggravation for me to then write TV and try to impress upon them to do it in such a way that it might actually motivate people to continue to watch the show and maybe show up physically to watch these people as opposed to, oh, well, you got a great star rate. You know what I mean? I'm going to go old school on you real quick. I'll finish up uh, with my, my little portion. But as my kids would say, this conversation is bussing. Mm. And Preach to me is what they would say. Preach to oh, me. Well, I, I and I don't want to sound preachy, but I'm just trying to mm -hmm. state a fact that yeah. we've lost such an attachment with what your real job as a wrestler is, which mm -hmm. is to motivate your job as a wrestler is no different than as a movie star. You know, the job as a movie star is not to act in the film. You know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, because if that were the case, Arnold Schwarzenegger never would have made a made a movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger was a terrible actor. And if you don't believe it, go back and watch some. Okay? Yeah. yeah. Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger's job was to motivate you to leave your home, the comfort and safety and security of your home, drive to a theater, sit in that theater and watch him do his job. You as a professional wrestler, your job when you're featured on TV is to, your main job, number one job, when you walk through that curtain is to keep them from turning the channel. Mm -hmm. They turn the channel, we're done. Right. Your job is to keep them there. Something, whatever it is, you've got to keep them there. Now, if they go to commercial break, you better have been something to where they don't turn the channel during the break. Mm -hmm. yep. Now, the real trick is, are they going to tune in next week to watch you again? And then when we come to your their hometown, are they going to leave their home? The comfort, safety, especially these days, it's even harder. Leave the comfort, safety, and security of their home, drive to a building, pay to park, Mm -hmm. pay a ridiculous amount of money to get in that building to sit in a seat they don't want to sit in around people they don't want to sit around to watch <laughs> you do your job right you think having a five-star match is going to motivate them to do that no mm -hmm. you're right mm -hmm. you get you know you sticking a roman candle up your ass and doing three flips off the top rope and a splash on a guy who's going to make them do it <clears throat> no 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 they are no. wanting to mm -hmm. believe they're wanting yes. to care. They're wanting to invest in you emotionally and know that it matters and then not have it thrown in their face 10 minutes later on Instagram or Facebook. The internet mm. is not the problem. The problem is you. And you're competing for the most valuable resource on earth. That mm. is people's attention. Corporations will spend billions of dollars to get your attention for even just 30 seconds. And you are going to go out there for anywhere from six to 12 mm -hmm. minutes. And you're going to have to keep those people's attention to where it motivates them to want to have you keep their attention again. Mm -hmm. And if you can't, you're not worth it. Yeah. That's why people get released in WWE all the time. 
because they are constantly perpetually evaluated on one thing. Hey, are people going to continue to watch this person? If the answer is no, we got to release them and get somebody else. They will. Mm-hmm. You're yep. not, it's not a job. You are not an employee. You have never been hired. You cannot be fired. And if you continue with that mindset, you will never be truly mm-hmm. successful. And right. yeah, you're, you're under a contract now you're signed and you're making money, more money than you probably ever would have imagined you could make. Guess what's going to happen though? Every run comes to an end. It ain't mm-hmm. a matter of if, it's a matter of when. When. And yours will too. And guess what happens when all that money ain't continuously coming in? Suddenly you start spending all the money you had. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you're working at Target or somewhere else instead of doing what you want to do the way you want to do it on your terms. Be smart. You've got an incredible opportunity and an incredible platform, no matter where you go these days, to make mm-hmm. And you, you've got one thing that we, that we didn't have back in the day. You have social media. You literally can make yourself into an attraction. You don't need anybody else's TV. Yep. What are you doing to do it on your own? Mm-hmm. You know, get up and do it. You can. Mm-hmm. So, wow. That's my uh, preaching part. So. No, it's a it's 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 on point though. That's a you you couldn't have stated it any better. I mean, I, I mean, I hate yeah, and and I'm with you hating to sound like the well that old fart that old ref over there. You know, watching these young refs now and complaining about them because uh, I tend to notice. Uh, uh, for example, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, <clears throat> you talk about false finishes and you want people to believe in false finishes, and some refs have a tell for when it's a false finish. And I don't know if fans notice it, but I do. I'm sure Brian does as well, being, being, being an official himself. But somebody asked me, oh yeah, what is the tell? And if I tell you, you will be you won't be able to unsee it. So that's why I don't I don't reveal it on here. Here's because, the thing, Jimmy. Yeah. Here's the thing. Okay. All that shit that they're all doing, they're not false finishes. Okay. In order okay. for it to be a false finish, people have to believe it's the finish. Okay? Good point. And and just because you did a big move indiscriminately in a match at some point doesn't, and just because people went, ooh, at the two count doesn't mean it's false. Okay. You've conditioned them to react that way. Right. The only reason you have a finish because 98% of the wrestlers in the business now don't have a finish. I love it when I go on the independence and I go, oh, what's your finish? Oh, I do blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you don't. That's not your finish. Well, yeah, it is. No, it isn't. You know why? Ric Flair's finish was the figure four. Do you know why it was? Because he beat hundreds of people week in and week out with it. Mm-hmm. Jake Roberts' finish was the DDT. Why? Because he beat hundreds of people week in and week out. The only reason you establish a finish is so that now you have a gimmick in the match that you can use like you're trying to attempt to get to so you can tell the story of trying to win. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason you have it. And now you want it to be false. Now Jake Roberts DDTs Ric Flair and he barely puts his foot on the rope. And that's a false finish. Why? Because everybody thought it was really the finish because they'd seen Jake beat how many other people with it. Right. Right. If you're just doing a Mm -hmm. big slam or a big spine buster is, and you never even attempted during the rest of the match to do it is not false. Mm -hmm. That's you just doing a big move so that you can jerk yourself off emotionally. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's the truth. I'm not making it up. No, but you know what I mean? Uh, so our next question comes from WWE master 2018. He says, what's your favorite hardcore match for the hardcore title you had in the nineties? Uh, geez. Uh, the two that stick out probably were the time I wrestled myself. Um, oh, my goodness. and, um, and then the time that Bob and I went like an idiot, I came up with a great idea of that we'd go into the Mississippi river. So um everybody talks about that all the time so is it the one that was in the winter too yeah it was in february wasn't Wasn't very smart to my in my defense (laughs) it was a very warm day in memphis and (laughs) it was and i was walking around outside by the mississippi river without jagged i'm like oh we're just going the river and then when i hit the water i went oh shit this is a lot colder deeper moving (laughs) on and then bob all jacked up was trying to legitimately drown me so, <laughs> now, now, wait, wait, no, now one thing, hold on, stop. Now, you stop talking about people being jacked up. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> if you and watch the match, there's a tire that's strategically in the river that mm-hmm. I began grabbing a hold of and trying to keep my head above water because he just repeatedly dunks me, pulls me up. And if you don't know anything about actually drowning a human being, that's how you drown them. Is by sticking them under the water, pulling them up, sticking them under the water, pulling them up to where I at one point grabbed the tire and hit him in the balls and go, "You're killing me." Maybe, maybe, maybe it was his retaliation for you suggesting going in the water. I don't know. Maybe, (laughs) but yeah, not one of my sharper ideas. But and if anybody really wants to know, because Mm -hmm. there's always been this myth. That what does everybody want? What does everybody need? What does everybody love? Like it's a double entendre, which it was. Mm-hmm. But I never, honestly, never meant for it to be a double entendre. I mm-hmm. actually, if you pay attention when I say it, I get angrier because I was shooting an angle where at some point, and I never had the conversation with Vince, mm-hmm. but it was at some point I would get jealous of the head because here's a guy who he wanted to be what does everybody want? What's everybody need? And they only mm-hmm. chant for the head. They never chanted for me. So I was going to literally turn heel on the head and be jumping it backstage, cutting promos, working to a big match. We'd go blow off the whole nine yards. So Mm -hmm. that's tremendous. Very interesting. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. our next one we have, Mm -hmm. I believe this is going to be our last one is Mm -hmm. from Sarah Walker. She asks, Mm -hmm. if you were still wrestling today, who would you face in any type of match? Any type of match? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first off, I'd only face whoever would get me paid the most. Um, <laughs> that works, yeah. And uh, I would have loved to have gotten an opportunity to to wrestle Kurt Angle. You know, that would have been a blast. Um, oh. I would, you know, that would have been fun. I think. Mm-hmm. And um, what type of match? I had six of one, half a dozen other. I, I. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I know I better have a better understanding now. And here's what's the kick in the pants about the wrestling business is that, you know, like I broke in when I was 18. And when I broke in, a lot of the old timers would be like, well, kids, you're probably not going to make any money until you're in your 30s. And they were right, because it takes so long to really understand how to work a wrestling match, not wrestle a wrestling match. And now that I know, 
I mean, it don't matter the gimmick. You just tell me the gimmick. I'll know how to sell it, and and I'll know how to work that gimmick throughout the match to then use it to be able to tell a story, mm-hmm. and we'll do business. And you know, um, that understanding has really changed my view and mm-hmm. and and uh, concept of everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, it just took so long to to develop. You know. You know, we, we, there's a, a popular movement back to the training thing for a moment in the wrestling business. And they, they teach this uh, in that it's just a pedantic, stupid paint by numbers formula that uh, step one through step seven of, you know, oh, you shine the baby face, then you do a heat spot, then you get the heat, and then you do a hope spot, and then you do a double down, then you blow a comeback, and then you do false finish, you go home. And that has got to be, you know, when you really think about it, 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 anybody can paint a house. Not everybody can be an artist, you know, and anybody can wrestle and you can wrestle your seven step formula, but not everybody can be a worker and work a wrestling match. And to really be able to go out and work a wrestling match, the only formula you need to follow is that you have to first and foremost sell your intent. When you come through that curtain, you got to sell who you are and why you're out there. Those people have to believe in you. They have to believe in you and they have to believe in your intent. Second thing you have to do is you have to identify what the gimmick of the match is. Gimmick is, it's, it's twofold. One is, how do you win? Is it pinfall submission? Is it a tag match? And therefore, you're going to try to tag most, you know, during the more than the other team during the match. Is it? Is it a dildo on a pole match where the first guy gets up the pole, gets the dildo, and he gets the upper hand? You know what I mean? If it's if it's if it's a gimmick on a pole match, if it's a dildo on a pole match, the first thing I'm doing is coming through the curtain and I'm staring right up at the top of that pole. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I'm trying to bring everyone's attention in the audience up to that pole. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get in the ring. I'm going to stand there, and while the announcements are being made, I'm looking right at that pole. The bell rings. Where's the first place I should go? For that bolt for the pole. Because exactly. How many times though have we seen nightstick on the pole, chair on the pole, put anything on the pole, and the guys start wrestling each other and don't ever go near that pole until the end. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's a, a tag match, what's the first thing I should be trying to do? Thank Get you. my opponent over to my corner and tag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I if it's a pinfall or submission, this is I swear to you, is this how easy psychology is? Ding, ding, ding. I'm going to get my opponent off their feet, down on the mat, try to pin them as quick as possible because that's the most expedient way to win. And when they can't, I'm going to grab a hold and they're going to try to get up off the mat away from there. And then we're going to repeat. And then we're going to create high spots out of that, telling a story that we're both trying to win. Mm-hmm. Correct? That's mm-hmm. the gimmick. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you don't identify and use the gimmick, you can never build heat. Heat's not offense, and it's not people getting angry. These all were terms made up in the carnies. And the carnivals, the heat, you all played carnival games. You all went to dock the three milk jugs down, or mm. you know what I mean, or put the ball in the milk jug, right? And mm. this same psychology was used. The same psychology was get the intent. How do you win? They show you. There's that, that, and that's the gimmick. You got to throw this ball, knock these three milk things off the, you know, milk cans off the stand, 
you win the big prize. That's the, that's the objective. That's the goal. Now we need to build heat. What's heat? It's that want, that belief that if you put your money down one more time, you have odds of possibly winning the big prize. That's the heat, not the offense, not the people yelling at you. It's making them want something that now is like a mental game of keep away where you offer it to them. The audience goes to grab it. You take it away as the heel. The baby face goes to offer it. The heel takes it away. And we do that until we get to a point, just like when you were kids, where if we go too far, we get fuck you heat, which is uh, you're not going to give it to me anyways. I'm not I'm, I'm playing no more. Or if at the right time you pay that heat off and you take it home, you get the pop, which is short mm -hmm. for pop their nut, which is basically mm -hmm. give them an emotional orgasm, not pop like they made some noise. Right. That's ridiculous. So. That so, wrestling is just like having sex, just like fucking. No different. So, Al, here's what we want to do, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 I'll never ever get old with that story between yeah. you and D'Lo Brown about how wrestling is like sex. It's it's it's, it's the greatest thing. It's true. It's true. It's it, it's 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 making out, getting it's, the people it's, involved. It's going to the bar. It's meeting the girl. It's it's you know talking her up it's getting her out the door it's making out with her it's you know you just keep building the heat building the heat yeah mm -hmm. until you get over and then you pop your nut and, and, and nowadays we get to the nut guess what we want to do we want to nut again yeah yeah but it's not noise you could be you could be you know going at it and and she could be screaming like a banshee but that doesn't mean you're going to get anywhere all you might be doing is leaning on her boob you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, tremendous. Okay, so, well, well, this so, is definitely a, this is definitely a turn I didn't think we'd be having tonight, but I'm glad we're here. But anyways, go <laughs> ahead, Brian. <laughs> so, so, so here's what I do, uh, Al, to close things out, buddy. Um, yeah, we we all three care very much about your your project with OVW, and we mm -hmm. really do appreciate everything appreciate you're doing. You. I hear a lot about it. Uh, obviously, you know me and Daniel are pretty good friends, and he yeah. is very excited about being with you and, and, and being there. Um, this is, I just want you to just say what you want to say. I know you've gotten some couple TV deals that are local and stuff like that. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. Just, just go ahead and do what you need to do. And then well, thank we'll close you. out shop, buddy. Okay. Uh, if anybody has any interest in OVW, they can go to ovwrestling.com. You can find out more information about OVW. You can see the roster there. If you're interested in attending the training school, which is the only training school in the world, this is the God's honest truth. It's the only training school in the world that is actually accredited by the State Office of Proprietary Education. They are in charge. Every state has a State Office of Proprietary Education that's in charge of secondary education, which is all colleges, universities, and trade schools. Mark, okay. Wait, 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 wait. Out, out. Mm -hmm. out. You're talking too quick there. Explain that now. So okay. they're making the Credit a state in every state, there is a state office of proprietary education. They okay. are in charge of and they oversee all secondary education. So when you graduate high school and you want to attend a vocational uh, school or a trade school, or you want to attend a university or a college, wow. you want to go to nursing school, you want to go to massage school, you want to go to, uh, you know, uh, state university. This office of proprietary education oversees all of that. 
the OVW Academy, which is ovwacademy.com, is the only wrestling school in the world that is actually accredited as a trade school for professional wrestling, sports entertainment, and broadcasting in the world. Unbelievable. That is a tremendous. Unbelievable. There is no other that is even close. If you and you can go to, and I encourage anybody, you go to any school you want to go to. The only thing I encourage them to do is to one, make sure it's reputable, two, make sure that whoever is teaching you has the commensurate amount of experience to help you achieve your goals. For mm -hmm. instance, you want to be in WWE, get trained by somebody who has been in WWE. You know what I mean? Otherwise, they're not going to have the understanding or the information or the knowledge to teach you of what's expected and how to succeed. If you're wanting to go overseas, get taught by someone who has went overseas. Okay, someone who's been there that knows what, you know, has the knowledge, has the experience, they can pass on to you. It's no different than if you want to be an accountant and you just go to a wrestling, a regular, you know, a, a college. You, you know, if the professor for your accounting class has never worked anywhere outside that university, they don't have any experience that they're going to be able to translate to you that'll help prepare you to succeed. So find yourself someplace like that. And OVW, you, you know, I've got 40 years of experience. Doug Basham, who was a former WWE superstar, is a trainer there, and he has over 30 years of experience. You know, we have additional people as well. And we don't just teach how to wrestle in the ring. We teach you how to operate a camera lighting, sound, live event management, financial management, social media management, so that that way, if and when, and when the time, it's not a matter of if, it's a time of when your period of run in the ring comes to an end, you could still make a living in the wrestling business because you'll have the skills to do it. Um, but that's obwacademy.com and obwrestling.com. We are in, I think, eight different national networks both broadcast linear and streaming um we're in over a hundred million homes around the nation um we are uh on fight tv every thursday night outside of aew and wwe we're the only company that is doing live television for two hours a week every single week we have and we are on our ep episode 1220 consecutive episodes of television so it's not like we're some fly-by-night operation mm -hmm. um and uh we have uh trained and added to the wrestling business i think well over 300 significant alumni from the obw locker room that have been mm -hmm. both in wwe aew tna uh new japan all japan all over the world so I think we kind of have a track record of knowing what we're doing. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. It really is. Um, Al, I just want to say, I mean, I know the other guys want to talk to you too before you check out of here, but yeah, dude, I've always admired you ever since I met you. And it was way back in the nineties. It was 98. And you've mm -hmm. always been just such a great person to me. And, 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 our time, I will say, our time in TNA was, was in, in my opinion, the finest because this is when we really became really good friends. We traveled oh, yeah. together. We did so many different things. Me, you, Raphael, 
me, yeah. you, and and, and and Simon Diamond, that little yeah. prick. Uh, <laughs> just, just you know, me, you, Jinx, Dom West. Um, oh, yeah. You know, just the, the minivan of love. We just used to have so much fun. You were traveling more so by yourself more than the minivan of love, which you missed out on. But anyway, I you know did, I did. Yeah, you had a couple trips. Yeah. But uh, but I just want to say, man, I, I can't say it anymore and, and be so much truthful that I was so very excited to reach out to you to do our first episode in 2023. We had you on our list way later on, and I just went to RJ, and I said, you know what, I, I want to get Al on. And, and, mm-hmm. and the reason why is because I knew this would be a great episode, and I knew this would be so funny and good and just – just so good. And I just want you to know, I love you so very much, man. Oh, I, really I love you too. Love heart. And I just don't want you to leave this screen because I want to look at your little face so I can just <laughs> in the hand. I love you. I love you. Honest to God, I love you. I love Jimmy. I, te- I, I go out of my way to tell every one of you guys that whenever I see you or I see somebody, you know, one of the boys, you know, we were the most dysfunctional family. I mean, let's face it. We really <laughs> yeah. were. You know what I mean? We all talk shit about everybody, each other, and then, you know, but at the end of the day, if there was anybody that would ever do anything to either one, any of us, we all would band together and go whip that guy's ass, you know what I mean? That's even right. Chim- uh, even, even defend Chimmel. Yeah. <laughs> even Chimmel, yes. Well, I, yeah. And I'll say this, too, uh, Al. You know, this is our first episode where we added Jimmy. Jimmy's our third man now that we haven't had yeah. before. This That's is our awesome. first episode with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm so excited about it. I think it just enhances our show, and it just does so much, you know, good for us. And, oh, yeah. and it, it, I just really, really appreciate you being on, and really, just you are open arms too about it too. So that's that's so cool. I mean, because I know you're busy, and I know you're so hectic going on with this stuff. And this OVW thing, which Ohio Valley Wrestling yeah. is, it, it's, it's it's amazing. And I'm so proud of you. And I just. I don't know. Maybe one day I'll earn the effort and the honor to 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 come down there and um, also be um, invited yeah. by you and Dave Hero to go do a Milwaukee show sometime. I would I would love for I. The only reason you have it is because I just I don't have the resources to, mm. to take care of you enough to where it warrants the respect that I have for you, you and, and Jimmy. That's it. Yeah. Otherwise, you guys would be here in a heartbeat. Believe me. Well, well, just so you know, that, a that, that's a that's a good way of saying it. And I'll say it properly too. I don't work cheap. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love you guys. Very, I really you. do. And I, I honestly, God, I'm you know, I uh, because I have OVW and stuff. I don't necessarily I don't miss the wrestling business because I'm in it. You know, I'm I'm yeah. I'm doing it every day. But boy, I miss you guys. I miss the boys. I miss just being a wrestler, and I miss just being on the road and, you know, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, there's no better way to yeah. live your life. You know, yep. God, we got so lucky to do what mm-hmm. we did for as long as we got to do it. You know, we were, we were and, you know, truly blessed. And, and, oh, and, yeah. And, and nobody and, should and, have to figure out, I don't have a fucking clue what it is I'm doing. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. but thank yeah. you guys so much. Yeah. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah. And, no, no, thank you. Well, I want to thank you too, not just for the show today, but just for everything over the years, all the all the amazing times I had. You know, we didn't travel together because uh, I was unfortunately saddled with Chimmel for yeah. most yeah. of my traveling days. Is remember what, Brian, remember what Brian, I would, 
Remember when right. I went through that spur that, that where I went through that thing where I every time I come out I go after him and chasing him around. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it was tremendous. It was tremendous. We but but you always treated me so well and we had so much fun together and I thank you for that and I love you uh, for that. It, it, it truly felt like a road family. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys were. I mean, we were with each other more than we were our own families a lot of mm -hmm. times. Yeah. And we, you know. I don't think I don't think today's generation gets that same experience. You know, no. remember when we when we first started working for WWF, like when I first came in on '95. Remember when Jr. came? Everyone we had that meeting. He goes, "Hey, boss, we're only going to work you 21 days a month, only 21." And I went, "Oh, <laughs> 21." You know. And then he goes, you know, then you didn't realize you were out for like 16, went home for two, went back out for mm. you know to make up the other 21. Right. You know, it's like, God damn. Right. Like, oh, we get seven days off a month. Hot damn. And they bitch yeah. about their schedule <laughs> they have now. You know. know. Yeah. Remember when we went to Germany for like 19 days straight, that first one tour? Oh. Good Lord. My goodness. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm not so old. Mm. No, you're not, kid. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Your dad and, and your uncle were on that one. Uh, we were at the, we were in, we were in Germany. That was that was when um, they had only it was only a few. I don't not good with time, but they were only a few years around or before that where they had taken down the Berlin Wall. We were like the first ones to go over into Eastern Germany and oh, wow. all those former Soviet cities. You know, all those former East German sites and. You know, they had still had big chuckles where the bombs from World War II had went off in the roads and you go into the towns and the windows still had bullet holes through the glass and the buildings. And, you know, they just didn't bother repairing any of that damage from World War II, you know. That was uh, that was the trip where JBL and Dutch Fantel and uh, Glenn Jacobs came and I all took the challenge to go into a German porn video shop and for uh, each of us to find the most disgusting porn video and report back to the others. And I came stumbling out of, the, I found the worst. I found this German Scheitzer video. Like, I can't even talk about it without, to this day, dry even. Oh, and goodness. I went and told them. They all went in. They all come out staggering, dry even. The next yeah. day on the bus, I told Gerald Briscoe, Jerry Briscoe, and he's going to dry even on the bus. <laughs> had to run on the bus throw up. Mm -hmm. Start, start, starting to think here now that we've gotten to the end of the show that this, uh, this head gimmick is not really a gimmick. Mm. <laughs> well, they're, 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 uh, they're sitting right here beside me, so we always. Get <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. I, I don't think we can end the show better than that. Al, thank you mm -hmm. so much for coming on this episode, oh, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, we'll see you again mm -hmm. down the road. Absolutely, absolutely. I love you guys. I miss you. Oh, Love you too, Al. Guys. Thank you so much, buddy. Love you, Mister Buddy. Bye, I'll guys. Take, take care, Al. Wow, I I think uh, that's the most Al Snow's ever talked. To be honest with you, Brian, because I've never mm -hmm. heard him. You know th those great promos, but he, when he goes, he goes right. Well, you haven't been in the car with him. Uh, this is <laughs> constant. No, three-hour no. ride. Mm -hmm. I feel like I was doing this all over again. I feel like I was uh, what's what's it called? The, 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 when they uh, what is it called? A ground day, groundhog, groundhog, groundhog day. day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it was just uh, it was so great to do though. I couldn't yeah. wait to do it Tremendous. again. Yeah, so awesome. Tremendous. Yeah, he was a great dude.
So uh, next week, before we get to our shout outs, next week we're going to be covering Mickey James. Um, so head out over to our socials at Reffing It Up on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, check out when you guys can submit your questions. Most likely, as you're listening to this, probably give it a couple days. Uh, try to get as close to the next week as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, uh, Jimmy, what uh, where can people get a hold of you? Uh, they can get a hold of me on all my social medias, at Jimmy Corderas on Twitter, at Real Jimmy Corderas Instagram, Facebook, uh, you know, Cameo, whatever the case may be. You, you can catch me on all those social media platforms doing my ref and rant from Monday to Friday, where I just critique something from the night before, from the week. And uh, again, trying to make it uh, not to tear down, but to help improve and to have fun with it, too. It's supposed to be fun. So you can get your ref and rant t-shirt at prosynthes.com as well too so they're available there and uh yeah you can catch me uh monday nights and wednesday nights doing uh some uh ref and reviews as well there you go brian what do you got uh, i got the same thing i got every week man <laughs> <laughs> re- re- really simple uh brian uh all right brian hebner uh, on Instagram and uh, Twitter and all that good stuff, and that's all I do. I don't I don't do anymore. Um, I, I would definitely not do Facebook, but anyway, that's well, about hey. it. What do you do? But uh, yeah, appreciate everybody listening this week. You can just hit up our website at castby.com slash refing it up. All our merchandise is there as well. Uh, all the shows coming up. Appreciate it. Go back, look at uh, a couple of these past episodes that we've had. We've had a lot of good episodes. Like Brian said in the show, we had, had JBL. We've had Bully Ray, Tommy Dreamer. Um, it, the list goes on and on. And uh, 2023 will be better, bigger and better than ever to steal a, a phrase from uh, a... Uh, gentlemen that both you guys know very well but we won't get into that uh so gentlemen thank you for being here this this evening it was a pleasure to have you here for the first time jimmy and uh we'll see everybody next week right here on reffing it up with brian hebner one two three